0: Today's episode of the Bill Simmons podcast on the ringer podcast network is brought to you as always by ZipRecruiter. You know, it's not smart, not voting. It's election day. Go vote. Allow me to be the 10 millionth person in your life today who told you to vote. This is the most insufferable social media day of all time, I think. But you know what? We got pushed to this point. Go out there and vote. You know what else isn't smart? Job sites that overwhelm you with tons of the wrong resumes. Luckily, there's a smart way at ZipRecruiter.com slash BS. They find people with the right skills for your job and actively invite them to apply. Right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free. I've been telling you this all year. It's free. ZipRecruiter.com slash BS. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Meanwhile, SeatGeek is the best app for buying and selling tickets to sporting events, concerts, and more. We are in a nice little stretch here with NBA, NFL, college football, college basketball, hockey, concerts, all kinds of things. For $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase on any game or sporting event, use promo code BS. Download the SeatGeek app or go right to SeatGeek.com. If you love the Rewatchables podcast, we are doing a special one this week. Be on the lookout for that. I don't want to spoil the movie, but let's just say it's appropriately appropriately themed for all the stakes of all the things going on this week. And if you haven't subscribed to the big picture yet, I would encourage you to do so. This podcast I'm about to do, call my buddy Jacko. We're going to talk about the election and I'm going to rub the Red Sox World Series title on him. We're going to talk to my longtime friend and former colleague, Dan Clores, who directed the epic 20-hour basketball documentary basketball a love story it's on espn it's on the espn plus app um it is intense i'm in it it's my dramatic return to espn kind of so we're talking to him and then we are going to run an interview i did with greg kinnear uh nephew kyle's back back from the world tour you survived promised nothing no incriminating videos no, there's a there's a questionable picture where my eyes were closed, but I th- I don't think it's because I was drinking. It was right okay. after the show. So the one fine. shining pot tour, you had three cities. Three cities. And they're yeah. doing one more Chicago's Chicago sold out this sold out. week. I hope you guys have fun. Yeah. Good luck running. Did you miss the show. him? Did you cry when you left? No, it was time. It's time to go. It was time to go. That's a long time to be with Titus. In the car. Yeah. Titus is about 72 hours. You're Tate right. <laughs> right. you might be that 96. <laughs> yeah. Tate was fine. Tate's got a way to he leaves. He leaves off and comes back. You know, we're not sure where he went. The One Shining Pod, they're going to the two the college basketball opener tonight, which this is going to be a cool season because of uh, Zion Mania, which is really starting to gain some steam, as well as about 100 different scandals. But they're going to record a podcast. Are they doing it tonight after the games? I told them they have to do it at some point. I think they'll yeah. do it tonight after the games. Okay. So check out the One Shining Podcast if you want to hear their reactions to all that stuff. And check out Titus's College basketball preview, which is on the Ringer dot com right now. All right, we're going to call Jacko first. Pro Jam <laughs> on the line right now. My longtime friend, my former colleague, my one phone call when I'm in jail, Dan Clores. How are you?
1: I'm good, Billy. How you doing, man?
0: So Basketball Love Story is on the ESPN Plus app. It's been running on ESPN in four-hour blocks. The last one runs next week, 20 hours total. You and me and like seven other people are the biggest basketball fans alive. Um, You were always destined to throw yourself into some crazy NBA p- project. How long did this take? It,
1: it, well, actually it's, as you know, it's much more than MBA. It, it took me from the start to finish 20 hours, four and a half years. That only makes sense. If one understands that it takes me two years to do a 90 minute film. Yeah. This is 20 hours in four and a half years.
0: Yeah. It's a lot of time. You have a lot to say. Um, yeah, we started yeah. working together. You did in the first round of thirty for thirties. You did the Reggie right. Miller documentary. That, right. and now I know so much more about how the whole process works. But back at back in 2007, eight, 9, just learning on the fly. Oh, oh, that's an interesting way to do it. And you, how many people did you interview for that one? Like sixty
1: for Reggie. Yeah. Reggie, winning time must have been about fifty. Yeah, yeah fifty. 40 to, Forty to forty-five to fifty.
0: Yes, which it which it was. It was like a sixty-minute film. And 90, minutes, oh, ninety minutes. Oh, did it? Was it ninety minutes?
1: Oh, seventy-five. Seventy-five minutes. It took me two years. Seventy-five minutes. That's
0: right. Yeah, we yeah. ended up bumping it past whatever you're supposed to do, and right, you threw yourself into it. and You did so many interviews, and I was like, wow, I like this guy. This is how I would do one of these. I would just interview way too many people and throw myself into it like this. So then, when I heard you were doing this uh, basketball project, I was like, oh my God, he might interview everyone who's ever been to a basketball game. But where'd you end up with like 160? Well, you know
1: what's great? What's great is uh, we did 165 interviews. Wow. The average length of the interview was two hours and 25 minutes. Russell, for Five and a half hours. I interviewed Oscar for six. And every single person that I interviewed is in the film. That's never happened before. There needs to be, at a certain point, a ruthlessness in making the movie. Yeah. Where I have, when I did Crazy Love, I cut out my own mother and father. I had a segment <laughs> on elder people in love. Cut them out. Yeah. When I did The Boys of Second Street Park. I interviewed two Holocaust survivors. One was cut out. There's a ruthlessness to it. Every single person. Because you don't want to be, you get the right thing to do is, I mean, when I did Ring of Fire, the Emil Griffith story, I had the absolute pleasure, honor to interview Bud Schulberg, who was then about 90 years old. And had to cut him out of the movie. Who the hell am I to cut out Bud Schulberg? But I had to do it, and I was so. And you have to notify people. You can't have them come to a premiere, or turn on, the, go to the movies, or turn on the television, and they think they're on it. That, you, they can't do so. I had to make up some excuse for Bud Schulberg that you know that 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 the interview got screwed up because of the sound and light.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the audio was off. Yeah, yeah, you uh, you you were working on this for a few years and. Now, how many people died that you interviewed that are in this film that are now no longer with us?
1: Too many. Too many people. Connie Hawkins. uh, uh, Well, the first person I interviewed was Jack Ramsey because I knew he was ill and I interviewed him four hours in his home in Naples, Florida, and he sat for four hours and couldn't stand and was ingenious, as you would expect, so he... Uh, I dedicate the film to my own father, uh, who passed recently, and to uh, Ben Joe, my dear, dear, dear friend, the great coach at HBCUs. And Ben passed a year and a half ago. Connie Hawkins, Mel Daniels, uh, Michael Goldberg, Moses, uh, Ralph Shays. Uh, It's why I didn't interview you. Because I didn't want to put that jinx
0: on you. That's true, not true. Not only did you interview me, not only am <laughs> I the breakout star of the documentary, but it's my dramatic return to ESPN. I'm back, baby. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. Good luck to you.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh yeah, I was I was very excited to to be in the Spurs one about the uh the 2013 Game Six, which is still oh, you were great, the most great. unbelievable non Celtics basketball game that i've been to and i still can't believe it and i and i had like a 105 degree fever and i still remember big chunks of it yeah i was i was super sick the finals broke me down
1: now that makes sense because when i come to you in that story your horse you're 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 at that booth right
0: yeah i'm in Uh, afterwards yeah
1: afterwards your horse your voice is horse and you're red in the face.
0: Yeah. I was really sick. I had to get like NBA doctors and stuff. My body just broke down, but I
1: didn't know that, but yeah. now it makes perfect sense. I thought that you were cheering and talk. Well, you were talking too much, you know?
0: <laughs> or you thought, or, or that I was like uh, doing drugs or something. Yeah. I looked like Bradley no, no, Cooper and in a star Wars born.
1: Thought, oh, I didn't, I had no idea that you were sick.
0: Man. So <laughs> we, we should mention before I forget all of the interviews you did were, uh, were condensed and orchestrated in a beautiful book that is an oral history um, that kind of weaves through, I don't know, 70, 80 years of basketball. It was edited by Jackie McMullen and my old Grantland Rafe, teammate, Rave Bartholomew. who and, you turned me
1: on to? Yeah, he and, did well, a great job. Well, not all of the interviews. There's an oral history book, of course, uh, called Basketball Love Story, and they did a great job. And it was a, it was a, a beautiful, beautiful pleasure to – uh select them and work with them and because I never saw two people who didn't know one another work yeah. more comfortably and openly and respectfully with each other. You know, there was a never an issue and they just did a great job and there's probably a couple of more books coming out of the interviews. Good. Uh, you know, and you know, just like when you I, I think I told you the other day in, in the end of your book, you mentioned, you gave me this idea you, you mentioned that uh, you did this book, but there are so many issues you didn't get to. And I'm yeah. paraphrasing, you know, uh, uh, analytics and one and done and NBA is a gigantic business. And I remember when I read your book, which I read twice. And by the way, it's the only book other than the uh, Halbleston book on Jack Ramsey yeah. that I read in preparation for my research.
0: Oh, I appreciate I read no that. No
1: other book. Thank you. Nothing. And I was completely, I have to say this, preparation is so much of this. You can't walk into a room and not be completely prepared and think you know everything about who you're sitting with. Because trust is paramount, of course. Yeah. but 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 when you wrote that, I said to myself at the initial stage of planning, well, I have to get to these areas that Simmons was talking about, and I did. And most of them are actually, but like analytics and NCAA pay to play, are coming up on November thirteenth. The last two, last two episodes, my take on analytics and well, not my take, the take on analytics and the, and and the take on uh, NCAA. So you 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 gave me those ideas, which I, which I think is all so much part of the process, don't you? We we learn from one another. Don't you
0: think that? Yeah, and I, I think basketball changes so much decade to decade. You know, I wrote that book in 2009. Mm-hmm. And think of all the stuff that's happened since then. I mean, I'd love to write a sequel. I just, I, I don't know if my fingers work anymore, but
1: I know you, you have- you. Oh, by the way, you know who called me yesterday? And oh. I spoke to him for an hour and he called me cold. You ready? Yeah. Bob Coos.
0: The Coos.
1: Yes.
0: Start sharp yes. as a tack still, apparently. Age sharp 90. Sharp as a tack.
1: Yeah. 90 years old. You know what? I'm 68 and he called me kid,
0: so I love him. <laughs> oh, that's phenomenal. Yeah, but you think about this decade, though. You know, since I wrote that book, we had the decision- And now the player empowerment and everybody just Mm -hmm. jumping teams and Mm -hmm. kind of the millennial era and nobody's ever seems to be happy for more than two to three years. And this is starting to feel like its own era. And this this, does stuff that's happening now with Jimmy Butler in Minnesota.
1: Yeah, is uh, what would you call this era, though? That's an interesting. The player
0: empowerment—it's the player empowerment era. It Me, really yeah, is. It needs mean,
1: a catchy name, you know. Well, that's your job. <laughs>
0: you you come up with it. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah I don't know what it is. Name.
0: It's basically like the players have taken control of the league in every yeah. way, and they are so—they just have so much power. And I think a lot of it has to do with the social media and just their ability to reach people directly now. This is—that's another thing that happened this decade: is you have players don't need the media like they did. And even like, I'm sure you had trouble, you know, you had LeBron James sit down for this and there's a really good, I'd say 15 minute thing about the decision that I was the first time I'd ever really heard him talk candidly about it. But yeah, um, but those play every player you went to, you have to go to the guy who controls their life. And then another, you know, it's a whole process. It's like trying to get the president, right?
1: Yeah. No, the the contemporary players are of course, more difficult to reach than the people who are retired, and but what I learned actually uh, uh, as interesting the contemporary players that I interviewed: LeBron James and uh, Kevin Durant, and Steph Curry, and, uh, Anthony Davis, Nowitzki, Chris Paul. Yeah, these guys, most of them, fascinating because their knowledge of the game when you really talk the intricacies of the game with them, they're right on. When you remove all the ego bullshit, right? Right. When you start talking to them. You go back to that San Antonio, Miami series, right? And all of a sudden, as you know, for like two or three possessions in the entire game, three, all of a sudden Popovich goes to a half court, one, three, one. Right. And, and you're talking about that stuff. That's great stuff. Or, or the... I have scenes called signature moves and I'm talking to Kevin Durant is describing how he plays off the double team and often feigns. So a guy does come and double team him. That's great stuff. What knowledge of the game or LeBron, his signature move in my view going rim to rim and looking at the floor as he says himself as a NASCAR driver. I like that stuff.
0: And you're right, those guys there's an appreciation of the previous generations that I think this generation has. I'm not sure the guys in the 80s had it. Um the guys in the 90s definitely didn't have it.
1: Well, I I I don't want to generalize. I, I don't know enough.
0: You know to what? Generalize. I'm gonna generalize. That's part of what yeah, I do. Can, uh, no, I just okay. felt like the guys yeah. in the 80s, they showed up and they had probably one player they idolized, but they didn't know about the history of the you know, thirty years, forty years of the NBA, stuff like that. The guys but, in the nineties just want to get paid. Is, the
1: history is one thing. I'm saying something different. I'm I'm talking about the appreciation of the depth of the game. When Chris yeah, okay. Paul is when Chris Paul is talking about, and I think I know the game really well, I've coached the game for many, many years, but when Chris Paul is talking about how he defends the two-on-one break, and he's the one, and asks me the question on camera, and therefore it's translated in the film. How does, where does his hands belong when he's the one defending the two-on-one? Should he hold his hands high, or should he just hold his hands low? And I'm sitting there saying, I'm 50-50 on my guess, and he explains he holds them high. So then they're going to have to make the pass low, and he could drop his hands and potentially get the steal. If he holds them low, they're going to throw the alley-oop. That's great stuff. Mm. Yeah, that's these, great stuff.
0: These guys have you know, so much more intelligence now, too. From the last, I, I would say it's probably the last fifteen years when, as the internet got better and better, and the ability for people to just cut, you know, all right, yeah, you're playing this team.
1: Well, I know your favorite player in terms of IQ is J.R. Smith, so I kind of, uh, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not sure I agree with you on that one. But, but they, they, Come on. some of the guys really know the history of the game because of what you say. You know, they're looking yeah. at it. Kevin Durant. He he sat he sat in the interview and and he, and he's talking about Bernard King. I don't think he was even born when Bernard King was around. Yeah.
0: well, I do wonder, like, if NBA TV and ESPN Classic, to a lesser degree, these guys grew up with just old games were on and YouTube and being able to be like, oh, I like Bernard King. I'm going to go on YouTube and watch him for 15 minutes. But, like but in the 90s, you can exactly do that.
1: Right, exactly right. But you know what it says? Also, it says that they were serious at an early age. Yeah. That's what it says. They were serious at an early age. And you know, the other day I see that Houston play Chicago and, and Carter, Wendell Carter play for Chris Paul in the AAU. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and now they're playing against each other. Wow. So my point is that type of seriousness that rubs off Chris Paul into a kid like Wendell Carter and his mother, who's very serious also, it, 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 it paid its dividend, it paid its dividend. There's, there are a lot of great people and good people. Associated with the game of basketball, not an accident. Ready for this? That the few people, four or five, that have sent me notes. This is not an accident. I contend that they love the film and blah blah blah. You ready? Yeah. I'm from UCLA, Jerry Norman Woodens' assistant, Mike Krzyzewski, Duke, Pat Riley, right? Bob Cousy. Can you think of bigger winners?
0: <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, you had one of the things you had was about um, was about how winning is basically just relief and yeah, doesn't same- actually feel good, which I actually felt that last week when my beloved Red Sox won the World Series, I was so much more upset when we lost the 18-inning game. It ruined my whole weekend. And the emotion I had for that and how mad I was and upset and crushed by that loss – Versus when we actually won, there's like no comparison. The emotion just wasn't as well. Intense. There's a
1: scene. You're right. There's a scene that I came up with along the way, and it and it and it came from something else. I wanted to do a story on Al McGuire, and I remember 1977, his last game ever. You were too young.
0: I, I watched that the, game. How dare you? I was like eight. I saw that mean? game.
1: You you talk. By the way, everyone should know. That in my scene in 1976, Boston Phoenix playoff game five, my contention may be the greatest NBA playoff game of all time.
0: Yeah, I'm in that. I'm in that one.
1: You're in that scene. Boston gone Friday night, starts at nine o'clock. As you say, that's a bad idea. Everyone is drunk. And you say, paraphrasing, I was six years old. I was there and even I was
0: drunk. Yeah, (laughs) I probably was.
1: I I, I, on I the think fumes. it's a question for child welfare if the statue
0: was. <laughs> yeah, I was the only child. It was the seventies. My my parents <laughs> just brought me everywhere. <laughs>
1: but but now I go to Al McGuire the next year, so you're seven years old and he cries on the bench after he wins a national championship. Yeah. It's announced as his last game ever. And I use that the idea that here he is crying as here's a man crying out of joy. Now the idea is when a coach finally wins, not when Bill Simmons finally wins, do you find, feel joy or relief? That's my way of telling the Al McGuire story. Now, we cut to 20 coaches, all champions. They each express their attitude. And it's a great scene. And then I cut back to Al McGuire when, uh, when, when, he, when, he, when he passes away at a young age. And, um, so that's, do you feel joy or relief? You felt when the Red Sox just won, what, do you feel, relief or joy when they just won? Relief. By the way, when William McCovey died a couple of days ago, I was a Giants fan. 1962, I'm 12 years old. He hits the line dry. Richardson stabs it. one nothing victory for the Yankees, game seven, bottom of the ninth. When Willie McCovey passed the other day, it meant a lot to me, man, a lot to me. When I saw Bobby Richardson years ago in South Carolina, I was playing racquetball outside. He was the baseball coach. He walked by. I yelled at him. I, I said, Bobby, he turned around. and gave him the finger. That's it.
0: <laughs> I have Truth. this century. The, the joy ones for me were when the Pats won their first Super Bowl and when they won the, the crazy Super Bowl, when they stopped the Seahawks with the interception that
1: yeah I, it, uh, okay
2: we're just okay, like
0: unequivocal know. like going crazy and then obviously the 04 red Sox, um game 4 game 5 after that it was more like a life experience there was no joy no you're just dead inside from the yeah. emotion you know when sports goes too far and you're just you become like a serial killer almost you you, you don't have the capacity to feel anymore that's where i landed yeah. in 04 um, yeah
1: but you know coming up on the 13th Speaking of emotion. Yeah. Is a big, like a lot of great stuff coming up, but it's the big um Shaq, Kobe, oh, uh, Phil Jackson Uh-oh. scene. That's a 28 minute story where, where Kobe and Shaq are really going after each other. And, and there's great humor in it also, I find, but boy, they're not pulling any punches in that scene. Did you see that scene?
0: I didn't see that one yet. With, oh, but that's man. running this week, right?
1: Yeah, on the thirteenth it runs, and and uh, but I I use that. Uh, oh, I mean, Shaq is like, Shaq actually says, you know, like Phil Jackson told us to cool it down, and all of a sudden I cut to Jim Gray giving Kobe's uh, corporate line anti-Shaq, and Shaq says, "I called Kobe up right then and there. I said, when you come to practice, I'm going to kill you." He says it on camera, man. He also calls, you know, and then Kobe says, yeah, I'm ready for you, man. I'm ready. And they had to call Brian Shaw to fly in from Denver to make sure he was in the locker room to break it up.
0: <laughs> well, those guys need to get their story straight because they yeah. absolutely hated each other when they played. Yeah. And they hated each other after they were not teammates anymore. And then a few yeah. years passed and then it became like, no, actually, we didn't hate each other. It's like, no, no, you hated each other. Just stop.
1: No, no, they're in the film. they're they're saying it. I mean, you don't have to use the word hate when when you can hear all the other things that they're saying. I yeah, they' they're 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 opening up, but to their credit. And now this goes, to, I think, to your point about today's players to their credit. They won three championships. They stayed together. Then it split. But you think someone people think Kyrie Irving and LeBron could have stayed together for three years, Obviously, no.
0: Wait, hold on. I have thoughts on this. Let's take a quick break. Let's talk about Casper mattresses. Casper is a sleep brand that continues to revolutionize its line of products to create an exceptionally comfortable sleep experience one night at a time with three mattress models, the original Casper, the Wave, the Essential. Casper mattresses are perfectly designed to soothe and cradle your natural Geometry, not to mention the breathable design helps you sleep cool and regulate your body temperature throughout the night. Kyle, when you finally get out of this crappy apartment you're in. I can't wait. Move to a better one. Maybe you get a Casper mattress. Would you want the, the original Casper, the Wave, or the Essential? The Essential sounds like the one I need. Uh, we'll try to get you an Essential. It's delivered right to your door in a small, how do they do that, size box with free shipping. Returns in the U.S. and Canada. The best part, you can be sure of your purchase with Casper's. 100 night risk-free sleep on a trial. You spend one third of your life sleeping. You should be comfortable. Dave sent me one. Guess what happens? You sleep better when you have a good mattress. I can vouch for this. It's happened to me. Get $50 towards select mattresses by visiting casper.com slash BS using BS at checkout. Casper.com slash BS. Offer code BS. $50 off your mattress purchase terms and conditions apply. All right, we're back. I actually think three – I think I wrote this in my book, so I don't want to plagiarize myself, but I'm going to anyway. I think the over-under for championships for those two guys together was like five and a half. I think they were way under. They, they, Shaq and Kobe ended up with three. Yes. And if you look at the way the decade was set up for them right. and just the fact that the league was pretty talent poor last decade compared to now, there's so much more talent right now, especially with the, like the under-27 guys. Um, right. than there were in the 2000s for a variety of reasons. They really could have just kept winning. And I, I feel the same way now about the Warriors where, yeah. you know, I think they're going to win again. And then it's going to become a question for Durant, whether he just wants to be on a dynasty or not, but that team should win five or six straight. And, well, you know, that's well, the over-under disagree. for me.
1: I don't disagree, but, the, you know, the arbitrary over-under number that you lay out, five and a half, I mean, it, it doesn't reflect after the third detention during the third year and the third championship. And then the owners come to Shaq and say, uh, we, we're, we're, we're not giving you a raise. And he says in the film, what are you talking about? We just won three championships. And they say, "Well, well, we're sorry. And, and apparently Kobe had a lot to do with that decision. It was are we going to keep one? If we've got to keep one, we're keeping the young stud. And Shaq says in the film, he didn't know about that, that he was going to be up in the marketplace until he heard it on the news. In fact, it's actually funny. He says, I was eating my Fruity Loops in the morning mixed with Cheerios <laughs> when, I, when I heard that. So, but these are the things, I say Bob Cousy called yesterday Players never left. Dynasties were built. By the way, Phil Jackson in the film, which I think is, I don't agree with it at all. He says Popovich's teams were not a dynasty. He quotes Webster's on what a dynasty is. What do you think? San Antonio a dynasty or not?
0: I wrote a column about this 10 years ago. I think there's a different different word than dynasty. Go ahead. So um, I I think I combined it with contender. Mm-hmm. They were like a dynasty contender. It was like a Dynatendersty or so. I, I made up some <laughs> fake word for it. Not yeah. quite a dynasty, but more like an Uber contender. Yeah, um, yeah. They had yeah. the O two O three. Yeah. Um. They they won that season. Yeah. They really should have won in O four or at least been in the finals, and the Fisher shot just kind of kind of flung them out. But I think right. that would that if they had won three in a row there. I have a problem when, when a team can't even win back-to-back. Yeah. I feel okay. like that's got to be at least part of a okay. dynasty discussion. And,
1: but, and, but, but it goes to, I tried to pay attention in the film to a lot of championship teams that people don't, that don't get their due, both in college and the pros. Yeah. Kansas, 86. Florida, back-to-back. Billy Donovan's team, back-to-back. Just beautiful teams. Arkansas, Nolan Richardson. Pros. Uh, Dallas, the Carlisle team, uh, Detroit, the 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 Larry Brown team, Seattle and Washington, who never would have been champions if Walton doesn't get hurt. Yeah, now, that would have been a dynasty. They could have won a minimum three, if not four, if not four, or maybe more, if Walton doesn't get hurt. Uh, the 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 part of the big difference, and even Larry Brown says when he wins. And he comes out of the blue, right? He beats he beats he beats the Lakers, he beats the Lakers with that Detroit team. But you know what happened to that team? Management got rid of players six, seven, and eight. And that's the nature of a championship team. It's not only the five. And that's what Golden State could face. That's what Golden State could
0: face. Well, then there's the flip side of it, which is what the Celtics are going through now, where you have too many guys. This is yeah. the rarely seen too many guys contender where nobody's happy cuz nobody's getting enough minutes and everybody oh, is thinks that right? they're no yeah. one's happy
1: on the Celtics. I yeah, didn't know that. That's that's too bad. You know no, I'm sure I don't, I don't think the, it's
0: I I think it's fixable. I think it's treatable. Yeah. I think I don't yeah. think it's herpes. I think it might just be a cold yeah. sore. I'll
1: tell you that's when I know I don't know anything because I mean I I I love watching Duke play and I went to the Garden Tatum's only year there and I liked him a lot and I concluded that I don't know. He doesn't play that hard. Doesn't play any defense. So I never thought he'd make it. So I know I'm an idiot. Well, no, but, but it's, he's, look, he's just beautiful to watch.
0: Man. It's tough for it's tough for you to really know what's going on with the current NBA because your team is such an albatross in your life, the oh, New York no. Knicks. I mean, I, well, I, I don't blame you for hating. You, you just have to live in the past with all of these old the things way, that already happened. I was in the garden last night and saw them play
1: the Bulls, and I have to say. That oh boy. Either they're still they're they're feeling it out. They're feeling the process out. The coaches are feeling it out or not. But I I, I felt there was one bad move after another that lost in that game. I mean I, I couldn't believe it. I mean they 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 let Parker go crazy and never put any never put the person on him. The whole and and and, and Jack Levine who's really good.
0: He's been only, a surprise. Only the last
1: possession in double overtime they throw a double team at him. Yeah. They went one
0: on one. Do you buy killing them? Do you buy the, them? Do you buy the whole thing that you know? I think this is coming from Knicks fans, but this whole thing where Durant's going to go to New York. Um, do you? I think, don't
1: know. I have no idea. You no, know, no. I'm not a, asking
0: it, if you have inside information. I'm asking, no. do you think? Do you think the Knicks matter like that to current players? Like, do they? Do you well, think they see the value of being in New York City? And if they were on the right Knicks team. That kind of took over the city. I and don't contended. know, but
1: obviously things have changed, and money is money now, and you can make money no matter what market you're in. But there's still a great attraction to playing in New York, and and this group, no, they're they're a pretty good group. That, you know that, that are running that are running it now, and and um, all they need is a little bit of luck. I don't know how Porzingis is, is going to be. No one knows that. I mean, it's a that's a difficult. He, that's difficult to come back from, and 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 you know, especially since he doesn't play with his back to the basket. What I was amazed about last night is the, is the, um, you know, the, the 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 role of the big man. I mean, did did some, did the kid from Denver have sixteen assists the other night? Did I read that right?
0: <laughs> no, Jamal George. Murray had. Yeah, he had, he had a triple double, I think. But Jamal Murray had.
1: Yeah, he had forty nine points, but or sixteen assists. From a big man. I know. When
0: was the last time that? Well, that, well he's basically Sabonis. I mean, we always talked about what yeah. would it be like if Sabonis had been healthy in the NBA in the in the mid late eighties. Yeah. And now right. Jokic is in here, and he's basically doing a.
1: And and we interviewed Sabonis for the film and Marcellonis and and Bob Ryan has a great line about <laughs> Sabonis when he comes to the NBA in the film he says he says yeah he was many leg injuries and many vats of vodka away from what he used to be <laughs> <laughs> yeah but, I saw that. but I the saw footage that we have of Sabonis oh is my really god great did was I, there any a,
0: you yeah. told so many different stories in this was there anyone that didn't make the cut that now that this is finished you're like oh man I should have put that one in there.
1: Uh, any story? Yeah. Well, yeah. I
0: mean, the uh, like Moses isn't the Moses 83. Sixers Moses, isn't Moses in got that, right? cut.
1: that championship team. That was strictly a matter of, of ESPN pressuring me on time. So I had uh, to cut that scene, which was a drag, but the scene that I made, which, which is, and, and you, you, you saw it is on the melee in Detroit. And, and that scene didn't make it. Um, there were, there, were, there were issues with, in terms of some of the licensing on that, and that's a great scene. And I, I love that scene because I not only got into the players and the coaches, you know, Larry's in it and Carlisle's in it and a bunch of the players are in it and Artest is all over it. But then I cut to what's happening behind the scenes. David Stern gets the call Friday night. He's in his bathrobe eating an English muffin with peanut butter and jelly, Russ Granite coming home from the wife and the movies. And, you know, so I tell all of that, and I, you know, and I joke with Artas. He doesn't know I'm joking. I said, well, I heard it wasn't beer in your face. It might've been Coca-Cola. Oh no, man, that was definitely a beer I tasted. <laughs> you know? so, but, uh, and then footage of our friend West on the floor, you know, there's a lot of brawls in the movie. Man,
0: I didn't know, know I, but, I didn't know we were allowed to talk about the art test section.
1: Well, we are now. <laughs> you know, I can
0: talk about anything I want. You, uh, you screened that for me. Yeah. And I thought that was one of the best 16 minute stretches I've seen in, of any sort of documentary for sports period, basketball, whatever. Yeah, well, because, and yeah. what was interesting about it was the NBA actually comes off really well in it. And you watch it and you go, Oh yeah. As awful as this incident was, it actually was ultimately a good thing. It led to all of these different things and it it really made the NBA kind of look at each other. Everyone who runs the league, look at each other and go, all right,
1: yeah. what are we going to do?
0: How do we fix this? How do we make sure yeah. this doesn't happen again? And they did.
1: Absolutely. It was, it was fun making it, you know, look, you can't get everything that you want. I, yeah. I, I have zero hot feelings, you know, um, Coming up is another one of my favorite scenes that that Bill Simmons is a star in, and that's oh. on the two thousand and four Olympic team. That oh, was a man. debacle.
0: Oh my God.
1: And I I mean a debacle. I was
0: calling that on page two before the Olympics. I bet you on Argentina. Did. I was like, you gotta be Marbury who was it? You, Marbury and Francis for the point guards? What were they doing? Oh, no, Marbury and Iverson. Oh, Marbury were the point and Iverson. Guards. That was even worse.
1: Even yeah. worse.
0: Oh my God. And, and all the young kids guard. were on it?
1: Can you imagine the constraint? and and, and you got four rookies named LeBron James, Wade, Carmelo Anthony, and some and 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 someone else and Bosh,
0: ba- right? Bosh,
1: yeah.
0: Carmelo
1: Anthony got his mother's call and wants to take him home. You know, yeah, <laughs> because he's not playing. I mean, what a and and but it led to. And this is where leadership comes. You know, people say, "Well, why is the NBA this way and baseball's not, football not?" My, my answer is pretty simple: it's leadership. It's leadership. I mean, like David Stern, uh, um, it, it, it was a brilliant leader. It's not an accident. You, you can't just say it was Bird and Magic coming into the NBA if we didn't have the right leader there to understand how to maximize this and maximize uh, Michael Jordan and. All of that, and know and understand marketing, and understand globalism, and then and training Adam, and Adam being, and and Adam being Adam. I mean, I mean, brilliant in his own way, different type of personality, and that transition was 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 effortless. That's leadership. I don't know enough about the current baseball commissioner to make any intelligent uh, observation, but I know that the NFL. I mean, give me a. Break,
0: man.
1: <laughs> give me a break.
0: Well, you say it was effortless. I would say it probably should have happened four years earlier than it did.
1: Well, you know what? Things are meant to be. I started. I wanted to make this movie, Billy, uh, many years ago. Dick Ebersold was unbelievably gracious, but turned me down. Adam and Jeff Zucker brought me to him. Then the end. Then ESPN said yes, and then Skipper called me and said, "Sorry, we ran out of money." And if I, it, well, we don't have the money. And I did Black Magic. If I don't, if, if that conversation doesn't have happen, I don't do Black Magic. If episode doesn't turn me down, I don't do Crazy Love. So that's the way. That's the way life is. I mean, uh, uh, you know, it, it's just, it's about preparation. It's not only about having the right mentor. It's about being the best possible student.
0: Have you, and, you, you... I mean, we should, full disclosure, Adam is one of your good friends.
1: I love Adam. and I love David, too.
0: But Adam is... Adam. Adam I is love Adam to death. Now an incredibly powerful person who runs a league that has never been doing better, ever, at any point in I love in the Adam to years. death. I
1: have unbelievable respect for him. He's a younger guy. He's worked his behind off... I have great, great respect for David Stern. Both of them and the league are instrumental in me being allowed to make this film. And many, many people, Donnie Walsh, I mean, the people that opened doors for me, Bob Ryan, you, I mean, they're they're just, um, you know, Jack Ramsey's son and Dolph Shays' son and, you know, and John Thompson. I mean, they're just... You know, really, I find out about the game that there is this—the commonality is not only global, but it's within. Yeah, it's this, it is a shared love, you know. And I—I I say this that that I—I'm not sure about this, but long-form documentary filmmaking now why does it have to be linear? Why does it have to be chronological? Why does it have to be viewed as a history? I, did, I didn't do that. You know, it's short stories. So you, someone could come up that's infinitely smarter than me and do the same type of take on music or on comedy, right, or on the theater or on dance the same way. If I open this film with James Naismith, I'm snoring. But he comes up in the fourth scene. In the third story... PJ Colissimo is getting choked by Spreewell. Huh. <laughs> I chose to do it that way. Right. I chose to do it that way,
0: man. Well, I brought up Adam because, you know, he's on a really good run right now, but you've known him for a lot of years. Is there an embarrassing story you can tell us about him? Is there a funny story? Is there some sort yeah, of quirky Adam Silver. Quirky, <laughs> some sort of quirky something. No,
1: I, I'm not going to tell you an embarrassing Come story on. about Adam still Come man. on, I'm, I'm I'm going to tell you that one of his key aides got laid at my wedding. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> That's as far as I'm going. Okay. Okay. Very okay.
0: <laughs> very fair. Uh, what okay. was your favorite Bill Simmons performance in your documentary? I went third person there. What's the What's Are the you- key scene for fans of this podcast? What's the key? Out of all of these ones that I'm in, what do you, what's the one you, sh- you should tell people, go watch him in this one. He's really he's really bringing it.
3: Wait,
1: right. I mean, everyone knows that we're only kidding you're not in the movie, right? They know <laughs> that, right? <laughs> uh, you know, there were a couple of people I wouldn't agree, and I'm still pissed at you for not agreeing to be in it, you know?
0: How dare you? I'm still so, mad my that the artist may
1: moment in this movie... Okay, I'm not sure if it's my favorite, but I do the scene on the uh on the first lottery right? yeah and uh which is a really funny scene, you know, and
0: I and, love that one,
1: and you're of course like you know you're you're you know you call it the greatest magic trick you've ever seen, don't know if it could ever be repeated in terms of the envelope, Yes,
2: yeah, but start. that wasn't
1: my favorite line. my favorite line from you was when when it turned up the Knicks and I come to you and you say, so a lot, the Knicks got them. They suck anyway. will yeah. still beat them. That was a funny.
0: <laughs> That's the thing with the Knicks is they've been terrible forever. The guy but, who turned me out of that was Bill Russell. Bill Russell was okay. like, these guys, at the Knicks but, are always awful. Of okay. course we're going to beat them. I,
1: as much as I hate to give you any credit. Yeah. And I realize this conversation is completely about you. Okay. As, as much as I hate to give you any credit, you were very astute at certain points. Okay. And especially, Thank you especially when LeBron comes to Miami the first time. And that's what people don't understand. And you hit it on the head. I mean, you, 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 I think you call the dueling banjos, it's my possession, LeBron has mine for Wade. And they don't win that year. No. And that's the element, the missing element of a championship team. is You know, chemistry is a word, but what does chemistry really mean? It means you have a leader that defines the correct roles and everyone buys into that. That's what it means.
0: It wasn't until and Wade got a little banged exactly up. That's where I was
1: going. Yeah, that's when It wasn't when until Wade got hurt. People don't realize that Wade, and you say this, was the alpha dog in that relationship. Yeah. But when, so, so LeBron, because of his personality, was psychologically looking for Wade, and at the same time, all the pressure on him, oh, I'm LeBron, I got to do this myself. It didn't work. They didn't win it all. The next year, Wade has an injury, and you point this out, and now LeBron steps up. That's not a knock on anyone. That's how we all progress. We continue to learn. It was a great opening for LeBron James as a basketball player and as a teammate, and now they start winning.
0: But Wade still had to let it happen.
1: And that that's, you finish my sentence. Wade still had to let it happen. That's exactly right. It's Earl Monroe and Walt Frazier in nineteen seventy-three. Right. Earl Monroe twenty-eight a game. He comes to the Knicks, and it's Frazier's team, and he gives of himself. Could that have happened if it was Frazier coming to Earl Monroe's team? I don't think so.
0: Yeah, I mean, I've you seen saw that it before. You saw it with the Warriors these last two years. On paper, that could have gone badly, but. Curry is such an unusual superstar. He doesn't need the ball that much. He's incredibly fun to play with. The space yes. that he creates. That's now right. he, he can he can take five shots and still have a dramatic impact on right. the game. You know, I, and him and Durant together, was, it's perfect.
1: I was there for the final, I think this year when um, it was in Cleveland when Golden State won. Well, maybe you no, know, no, next to last game, and I thought frankly, that Curry should have won the MVP in the finals. And I was watching it, and and he never blinked when they gave it to Durant. He
0: right. never, he doesn't care. blinked. Yeah, he doesn't.
1: Right? It, it says so much. You know, I love coming up on the 13th. I have a lot on Steph Curry and Golden State in there, a lot on Cleveland, San Antonio, Miami. But my favorite thing in the whole film is when, when we're – Talking about Steph Curry and the footage and Pete Vesey is talking about how he knows the angles off the backboard and he's going, Look at him, the angles, the angles. And Vesey goes, How could you not get off on watching him the angles? And I cut to the original Hustler film with Paul Newman and Jackie Gleason mm. and go back and forth as Paul Newman's describing Minnesota Fats playing the angles off the billiards table, the curry. The angles, the angles, the angles. I, 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 enjoyed making that. You know, that's awesome. I enjoyed making that. I hope people like that part.
0: Yeah, Curry. Uh, he's taking it up a notch this year. He was always kind of the stealth MVP candidate. He was. I think he was twelve to one odds. We talked about it on uh, on one of our basketball podcasts before. Like there was a case that he could still go up a level, and it seems like he's actually going up a level, which you I know agree with I wouldn't you. have bet on, but. I agree um, with you. There's a chance he's going to be like a 55% 50% three-point shooter, 55% for the field, uh, 90% free-throw shooter. 50-50-55-50-90 is actually in play for him, which is insane. No, no, no. I mean he, It's insane.
1: And, and you know what? They came to the garden the other day. They are so much fun to watch.
0: I know. It's people They're, forgot. I I love it. I love forgot. having I love having them. I would not change a thing
1: but one of my favorite parts of them coming to the garden is his maniac cousins. He's in plain clothes on the bench. He gets thrown out of the game. I know. I know. He gets a double T
0: what a, thrown what a, out of the game. What a loon.
1: He, no, yeah. I mean, that, that, that'll be fun to see how that plays out. How's the Lakers doing, man? How's, how, what, well, when, when is the ball father going to break out now?
0: Well, that's the, it's like, the countdown's on. It'll be in the next week because Rondo's What's getting minutes. Run over on runs. That? I didn't think he would be early. In the, I actually thought they might be paying him off to shut up. But now I think I think he's going to start spreading his wings soon. He needs to get <laughs> his son traded. <laughs> That's funny. I think they probably will. <laughs> the weirdest thing is is uh, LeBron is so detached. It's like really unusual, and we've seen him do this before when he doesn't like the coach or he's not really happy with whatever's going on, and he. He has the ability to just go on autopilot and still be really good. But yeah, you know right. when he's invested and he's not invested yet. And I don't know whether it's the new uniforms and the new city and just like the the all the Kobe lovers that are still here and there's a little resentment toward him. And I, I don't know what I don't know what the dynamics are, whether he just doesn't like the coach that much, whether he doesn't love his team yet, whether he thought Kawhi Leonard was gonna be joining him. I don't know. But I don't I, I don't have this sense like it's the first time I can ever remember in the history of an, of an NBA superstar free agent where he doesn't seem like he wants to impress his new fans. You know, the new guy comes in like, "Hey, man, I just, I just want, I just want everybody to like me," and he's he doesn't yeah, really well, feel you know, that way this time.
1: You know, I, I, I'm, I'm not sure. I disagree. I mean, there seems to be a lot on his plate. You know, um, yeah, it's a, red flag. a lot on his plate. Uh, I, I thought actually. Rondo getting thrown out and suspended was it for two games? Hurt that team because even though they lost one or two games, I thought Rondo was playing great.
0: Yeah, yeah, that, that great. I'm not giving it. I mean, it's so freaking early. It's I, too early. I, yeah, That's right. and they have a lot of it's, young players, and LeBron's got to figure out. He's got, you know, it, he's got to process everyone's info into his chess computer. It's and his too brain. early. That's right.
1: And I think Tyson Chandler. I mean, look, he's older and all of that, but you know what? He'll throw an elbow in someone's face, man, you know right, yeah, they don't have that, man, you know he'll he'll smack you, and that's good for that team,
0: yeah, it's gonna be that's a fun good season for that team. all right, so Dan Clores' documentary basketball love story, it is available the entire thing you can watch any of it on the e s p n plus app, but espn has been running it a lot. The last batch is running Tuesday night, November thirteenth, right, right, and then uh, hours. And then it's just, it's on all the time. And the and the cool thing about this, and why I think it's gonna have such a long shelf life on ESPN. And we saw this with some of the 30 for 30s that you can kind of jump in at any time, like, oh, that part's coming up. Oh, I'll watch this 20 minutes. The way you design this, it's all 10 to 15 to 20 minute kind of stories. You can jump in at any time and and that's it. They're digestible. So I think that I could see this being on ESPN for years and years. And I hope it is because I really liked it. And I, I'm not done watching it, by the way, because you made it 20 freaking hours.
1: 20 hours, baby. And my Bill Simmons over-under, I think that should be a contest that if I'm setting the over-under in terms of minutes for you in a 20-hour film, I want <laughs> the audience to understand this, as a 18 and a half. For those people who get the over, yeah. right? ESPN is uh, who bet correctly on this, the yeah. correct betting date is November 12th. They bet, they bet it and get it right. ESPN is, is, is doing a taco burger for every single person. <laughs> That's that gets not it true. Right.
0: We can't say that. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, look, I should have been in every segment. I actually feel like I didn't get the ball <laughs> enough. I didn't get enough shots off. <laughs> I had a great, I had a great usage rate for my time. I had, I had good stats. Very proud of my box score in this documentary. Uh, <laughs> all right. Dan Cloris, congratulations <laughs> on this. Thanks right, for coming man, on. Thanks. Don't forget to check out the book too on Amazon if you're looking for a Christmas That's gift. Right. Thanks. Okay, bye. Let's talk about G Suite. The suite of cloud-based productivity tools that includes Gmail, Docs, Slides, Sheets, and Drive. I use all of those things. These tools improve your work life, both in terms of your experience and the outputs you create. Hence, their new campaign, Make It With G Suite. You know, when you have 20 identical versions of a document labeled Final... And no clue which is the latest? Well, you make another version and name that one final, final, right? I mean, I have documents called final, 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 final. With G Suite, by Google Cloud, a range of work apps like Gmail docs and slides let you make real-time updates to the same document without having to keep track of version after version of a product. And since all the tools are cloud-based, your whole team can access the same document and work on the same page at the same time. To find out more about G Suite's productivity tools, visit gsuite.com. Make it with G Suite by Google Cloud. All right, on the line right now, my buddy Jacko. It is election day. We're taping this. It is 11.06 a.m. Pacific time. Lord knows how today is going to play out. All I know is it's already the most annoying day in the history of social media. Johnny, has has everyone in your life that you've ever met told you to vote today or what?
2: (laughs) They have. They have. I'm just thankful for the countless veterans who came before us, who died for the right of people to post pictures of themselves with I voted stickers on Facebook It really made it all worthwhile.
0: I was excited that Tony from the challenge, who's been, I think, kicked out of at least one challenge for bad behavior. And is just a general train wreck. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was telling me to vote on my Instagram today. So it was great. Nice. It was great.
2: I, I don't think it's official until CT threatens your life unless you vote. <laughs> that's then, what the then, challenge. Done.
0: You have to vote. <laughs> I'm going to kick your ass. <laughs>
2: right. I'll pepper your sauce or whatever. There's a little podcast BS report throwback. Um, yeah, what? that's good. I, I love it when all these celebrities that, you know, get engaged on election day and tell people to vote. It really, really does my heart good.
0: Where does this rank for you on the all time, most action packed midterms? Is this number <laughs> one? Best no. midterms ever?
2: No, no. Okay. This is this is way down the list. I mean, every election politicians come out and say this is, you know, the most important election of your life. But I really don't feel like this one is the most important one in my life. In, in Connecticut here, we're voting for a governor, which, you know, will have some impact on our state. Significant impact on our state. But I can't really say that I'm all that ginned up for that either. Um so no i I'd say this one ranks a little lower down on the scale for me. What are uh, there's gonna be any great earth shaking changes? I mean, I think the conventional wisdom is that the Democrats will take the House, and the Republicans will keep the Senate, maybe even increase their majority in the Senate. Um so, I don't know that it'll be all that earth shattering
0: you know you've you've been on this. I've been in this podcast eleven years. You're Republican um, yeah. conservative, yes. And the last two years have been, last two plus years have been trying for you. Where do you, where three do you, years really three, last three years. years. Yeah. Where do you fit in now? What do you <laughs> What do you stand for in the current landscape? What is wow. this? Just, is this just a total conflict at all times for you.
2: It, this is, good. This is a good time for me to, it, I can have my manifesto now. This yeah. Here's what I believe. Uh, <laughs> subscribe to my newsletter. <laughs> no. Um.
0: <laughs> no it's, I mean, it's gotta be weird because like, you've it always, ever since we've known each other now, 30 years, you've always cared about politics way more than I did.
2: Right, I grew and, up in a political family and everything else. Right, it yeah, we like, would. It was the equivalent of like you and your dad with the Celtics right. sports. Is like what me and my father had with politics. Right, I say had because unfortunately my father has passed away. But that was what we had in my family. It was a big political thing, and I've always been a you know died in the wall conservative Republican. And ever since the rise of of Trump, and and as I, as I looked on, aghast as my party you know, fell head over heels in, in lust with Trump. Um, and it's Trump's party now, so I look on even more aghast. And, I, you know, I feel like kind of a man without a country, certainly. So, you know, there's Republican politicians I like. I like Ben Sass from Nebraska. I've got a personal Twitter relationship with the lieutenant governor of Utah, Spencer Cox, so that's important to me. Um, go Jazz. <laughs> wow. Just kidding. Just kidding about the Go Jazz. But um, so you know he seems like a decent fellow but um you know by and large the the Republican party has just you know gone in sway with Donald Trump so it's troubling to see because as i've expressed numerous times i think that he is a moron who should not be within 100 miles of the oval <laughs> office so um yeah it's it's weird it's 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 an odd odd feeling and i certainly you know, I mean, the Democratic Party is, is still not my home, and I disagree with them vehemently on any number of subjects, So, uh, any number of issues. So I can't really say, like, I'm rooting for them, and, and you know, I'm not really rooting for these Trump Republicans, because, you know, that only gives further voice to, to Trump and, and, you know, validates his, his thoughts such as they are in his position. So I can't really say as I'm rooting for that. I mean, you know, I've, I've sort of been focused on local elections and there's a couple of people I know that are running for office locally and I'm rooting for them to win and, you know, rooting for certain things in local elections. But on a national scale, it's like, you know, I used to get a lot more ginned up and you know, there'd be like political debates at work and everything now and there used to be political debates. And now I just sort of, uh, you know, keep my head down <laughs> quietly cause, uh, it's crazy out there. Do you so. feel
0: like there's discourse anymore? Cause you used to always get, no. the, you used to get in political arguments and sometimes you would, you get a little bit heated, you know, yeah. in college and after, sure. but it was always, there was a good natured element to it. It was never, sure. it never ended with you standing up and going, well, you're a fucking idiot. And that's where, exactly. the, like, it was always, there was always a balance and now it doesn't even feel like there's discourse anymore.
2: You know, and it's, I think it's a lot with the social, with social media and everything now where we well, partly because. The anonymity of it allows you to be, you know, it used to be that you would have to go in a bus station and hold up a sign for people to know you were crazy or try to find like-minded people that, you know, thought the Martians were talking to you through the Airwaves or whatever. But now, social media, uh, you can amplify that voice and find other people that share your lunacy. Yeah. And you have the anonymity of being able to hide behind your keyboard and behind an anonymous name and, and throw the trio at your fellow man. And I mean, that, that is, on a, on a serious note, a, a troubling aspect of our politics these days where it is reminiscent more of what things are like in Europe where you, Europe you have like these sort of like it's very tribal and and people there's a lot more political violence or, or be it anywhere else around the world and America had always you know mercifully been uh away from that by and large now people are going to send me you know 85,000 twitter tweets now about political violence throughout history and I'm not saying we were, we have been completely immune to it but by and large we've avoided the the you know violent street clashes that you've seen in other places and now it seems like that's where we're headed and we've become ever more tribal and it's you know end of the day it was like well we're all americans um and now i think you sort of forget that and it's become more personal and ad hominem and you know we can go back and forth over what caused that and, but you know whether trump was the cause of that or whether he's just a you know a, a symptom of that um but yeah, it's definitely, you know, it's, it's uglier now than it used to be. And I think people are way too wrapped up in it. You know, it used to be that you could be involved in politics and well that's important your civic duty and what have you. But now, you know, be it the absence of religion in American life or what have you, but people have sort of like taken it almost as their own religion and, the, and, and, and treated it as such where it has like a level of importance to where people are like living and dying. And, you know, I don't know if I can get out of bed now based on what happens with this election. It's like. At the end of the day, it's not really going to impact you all that much.
0: This midterms. Well, if if one of these things swung in a way that we didn't expect, yeah, that could impact us.
2: Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, yeah, at the end of the day, regardless of what happens today. Tomorrow morning, Trump is going to be the president sure. and uh, until the new Congress is inaugurated in early January for the you know November and december he 's going to be able to do whatever he was able to do yesterday, but you know in January he may wake up, and if there was a, certainly with the democratic house he 's not going to be able to get any legislation passed, and if there was a democratic Senate as well, certainly he's not going to be able to have any sort of agenda at all, including, you know, putting people on the Supreme Court if any more vacancies opened up or, or appointing judges to lower-level courts. So that would have certainly, a, a you know, a big impact to some degree. But um, a big impact to some degree. There you go. That's a mm. good one. It's a big impact to some degree. That's good. I want to hedge more bets. Um, that would have a big impact on his agenda, without a doubt. So. But I mean, you know, if they if the Democrats just get the House, yeah, they'll make his life a little bit more uncomfortable with investigations, and they control committees and things. And, you know, they can drag his cabinet officials up there and, and, you know, subject them to some tough questioning and investigations. But, you know, so onward and upward. People are still going to be unhappy and still going to be miserable. And I mean, even like, the you know, the MAGA crowd that, you know, has the presidency and you know, has the president's ear, they, they never quite seem very happy. So, um, win, lose or draw, it's going to be the same thing tomorrow of, of people screaming at each other on Twitter. So, and Facebook.
0: What about when he introduces his new press secretary, Megyn Kelly? Do you think that'll...
2: (laughs) Well, no, 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 no. There's no love loss between them because way back in the debate... It's a, it's a makeup, it's it's a wrestling move. I know, but it's a,
0: it's a WWE move.
2: Yeah. And, and part for the course, really, for his administration, because she was on Fox News. So that seems to be uh, seems to be the way to get ahead in the administration. So I, I would be surprised if she would take that, though. Remember She's the, got like sixty three million dollars not to do anything. Right. So why, why go work?
0: Remember the good old days when we could dress up as blackface for Halloween, Johnny?
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what are you
0: talking uh, about, Megyn <laughs> Kelly? What a weirdo. Uh, How do you yeah. say that on TV?
2: Yeah, no, it's not great. Rough
0: times. It's funny because the the guys on the press box did a great – our press box podcast, Curtis and Shoemaker, they did a great job of breaking this down, how it started out down this great road of, oh, this is actually interesting. She's going to talk about how the PC police is now ruining Halloween. Right. This is actually a good angle. I'm excited to see how she sells this. And then the car just hits the guardrail at about 80 miles an hour. It's like, oh, look at that car. It's flying on. Oh, no. Oh, God. And that was it.
2: I mean, you should, having been on TV long enough, you should know that, like, you shouldn't, it, not only should you not open a can of worms, you, you shouldn't even, like, go to the room where the can of worms is stored. Right. And, like, don't even go near it. Just don't touch it. And as you say, there may have been a good point in there somewhere, but you just can't, you was, just can't do that. It was heading wrong. toward an
0: interesting place. Uh, yeah,
2: you just can't.
0: Yeah, there's certain words if you're on live TV that just don't even go. open the door, as you said. Like, Right. Just Hitler. Just now. Don't, don't, just don't even go in the house. You just, just just there's, be like, boy, there's no way you're going to stare having, it back. Huh? Yeah. There's no way you're bringing that one back. There's any, uh... What's the
2: weather look like today, Al? That's the proper response to that.
0: That was like one of our favorite SNL sketches. Um, when the, the David Alan Greer morning show, and the teleprompter Yeah. Dies. When the teleprompter
2: one out, that was the
0: best, and it comes back, and they're holding the weatherman's head. <laughs> yeah. The weatherman is dead.
2: Well, Farrell's covered in blood, shirtless. Yeah, it's great.
0: Uh, hey, there's another reason I was calling you. Oh, since, yeah, since the last time we talked, we have a new World Series champion, the Boston Red Sox.
2: Jesus, really? Yeah, oh my god, I really hadn't we paid did attention it again, well. Johnny. I guess congratulations are in order then. Good good job by you.
0: We did it again. 4. Well, we have now quadruple, quadrupled your 21st century World Series total.
2: True, true. It's 4 although, to 1. Although the Yankees are one ahead of their pace from the 20th century, really. And you're right on right on par, on par with your 20th century output. So, hopefully the next 80 uh 2 years will be the same as the last one.
0: Yeah, someone had a but pissy doubtful. tweet about uh this is The first, the Red Sox have never had a problem with the first 18 years of a century. I was feeling great and I read that and I was like, ah, fuck, now we got to win another one. I don't want to be thinking about the next 82 years.
2: It's a different world though. So, you know, the world was turned upside down in 2004 and we still haven't recovered. So.
0: Johnny, Um, what was it like to watch the best baseball team of our lifetime? 119 wins. (laughs)
2: No, okay. To
0: 119 and 57 is the final well, record. Well,
2: I'll tell you what it was like to watch the best uh, baseball team in our lifetime, but it was 20 years ago, it was 1998. Um David Wells was pitching for a brilliant Yankees team that went 125 and 50. So that really was the best team of our generation.
0: Was that but, the year, hold on, was that you played the Padres in the World Series? We did. That was the year that they you bought off the home plate umpire and he called the Mark Langston strike right. a ball and that led to the home run. And I remember that. They didn't want the right. market team to win the World Series. That was fun.
2: They, exactly. There there you go. You've, you've nailed it. Exactly. Um, Did you no, know that? Was the year all, that was the year all of our pitchers that had been shaky got much better because they used pine tar in the postseason to get a better grip on the that ball. That was also
0: very smart. Did you know <laughs> that the, in San Diego, they, there was a big article about it on the 20th anniversary? They really? Ca- they call that play the pitch. It's basically their version of the Bill Buckner ground ball for Red Sox fans, and really, and, yeah, it was that they had a whole long piece about how it should have been a strike, and that like wow. literally the next pitch was the series altering yeah, the home run, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's called the pitch in San Diego. Who I knew? Mean-
2: that Yankees team, you know, they, they basically clinched the pennant in like August. So I'm not sure that even if that pitch was called the strike, the bases were still going to be loaded. I don't think there was two outs. So maybe there was, it's been 20 years and I'm old, so it's possible. But, um, uh, when people are sending me tweets about the history of political violence in America, they can also send me a tweet about what the, what they how many outs there were before Tino hit the home run. Um, but I don't think they were beaten that that Yankees team, regardless of what happened on that.
0: I think I agree with you. I just remember in 1998, I I feel like I can say this because we've been friends for 30 years. You were at your all time insufferable between the budding Yankee dynasty and the Clinton Lewinsky scandal.
2: Yeah. Good glorious days.
0: You (laughs) You, you were out of your mind. You, you yeah. were just, you were just, had your chest out, just strutting around, strutting around the East Coast.
2: You know, as they used to say to, you know, conquering Roman generals, though, all, all glory is fleeting, you know? So, and it's bitten me in the ass because now the Red Sox are ascendant and Donald Trump is president. So really, <laughs> you know, I should have, if you could go back in my time machine, in my DeLorean and set it back to 1998, I, I would tell 28-year-old Jack Oder. Cool it with the rhetoric, take it was, it slow as roll.
0: It was great times. The internet was really f- forming and rounding into shape. We were <laughs> right. back in touch with all of these people that we never wanted to talk to again, just constantly calling each other and making fun of right. those relationships that were back in our lives that we never wanted. <laughs> and now we have, now we just have our Facebook group from college. Now, now yeah. we can just follow everybody we want. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. 98. Great times. 20 year anniversary, Johnny. You should have celebrated go. it.
2: We should have.
0: <laughs> you could have worn a Jeter jersey with that. Uh, I
2: did. Well, I do that anyway. So. And,
0: and had your wife do wear like a Linda Tripp costume, you could have gone out <laughs> for Halloween. It would have been great.
2: I'm, I'm glad. Well, well, I haven't really had that many fantasies about Linda Tripp, but I'm, I'm glad you didn't say that my wife was going to be Lewinsky in this scenario. You censored yourself, and I appreciate that. So that's I great.
0: thought Linda Tripp would have been a funnier costume.
2: <laughs> well, that's good. That's it t- good would one, have yeah. definitely taken a,
0: lo- a lot more effort.
2: Yeah, no doubt.
0: No. <laughs> the Lewinsky one's easy. You just wear the blue dress.
2: Right. Absolutely. Yeah,
0: that's a good one. You know, those were good the glory done. days, Johnny. Now, now, it. uh, now, now it's
2: just you know. And now our GM gives, you know, gives interviews where he's like, well, you know, it's possible Brett Gardner could be our everyday left fielder. And we'd love to bring <laughs> CeCe Sabathia back. And
0: you shouldn't bring to him win back.
2: Championship, but we have to do it cost effectively. I, I was surprised when he gave an interview and said how the Yanke- the important thing for the Yankees is to be cost effective, that George Steinbrenner didn't rise from the grave as a zombie <laughs> and come back and <laughs> drag him back into the ground with him. I was actually expecting it. I kept watching the interview, saying, "Any minute now, George Steinbrenner is <laughs> going to stagger in from left field and take Brad Cashman off this interview."
0: That would have been amazing.
2: Steinbrenner's son gave him some interview, and all they ever talk about is like, you know, the luxury tax and how they don't want to fund other teams, and that that really has like really hit him personally. Like they, they are obsessed with that. I understand getting under it last year. But I thought the point of that was to reset and then not worry because you don't have to worry about it as much going forward now that you're not a violator. You pay yeah. a lesser tax, but they really seem troubled by that, and that that's disconcerting to say the least. Maybe it's all. Hopefully, it's all smoke and mirrors and bluster to, you know, throw people off the scent of their plans. But uh, I haven't loved the comments so far at all. I
0: li- I like when you use the word violator. Like like
2: uh, <laughs> right, we violated the luxury tax.
0: Some terrible offense was created. <laughs>
2: I know. I, I Meanwhile, well, like the world's been turned upside down because the the Red Sox were always the ones that wouldn't splurge on free agents, you know, when they were run by the Gene Yawkey Trust or whatever. But now they have owners that are like, let's go get championships, whatever. Let's pay whatever it costs, and they had the highest payroll this year, and they didn't care. And you know, we're buying guys left and right, and more power to them. It worked for them. And now the Yankees are like, oh, like penny pinching. It's it's ridiculous.
0: Well, what if the Red Sox sign? Not only just World Series hero, Nathan Ivaldi, but just hero. Yeah. I I really feel like uh, there should be a holiday in 2019 for Evaldi's birthday. That's how heroic he was in the playoffs. He was
2: great for him, absolutely. Um,
0: but if they sign him, that will give us four of our five starters will have nine-figure contracts, which has right. to be a major league record. Not to mention <laughs> the Sandoval-Hanley. Uh, actually, I don't know if we're paying Hanley anymore. We're definitely paying sandoval I think yeah. we're paying Carl Crawford for the rest of my life.
2: And you're still paying he, Rusty Castillo, aren't you too? Like you're paying a lot of guys.
0: Well, no, Rusty's holding down our AAA team. He's great. Oh, is he? Okay. Yeah. Without you, Potak has been still really paying
2: good. Hanley and you're definitely still paying Sandoval.
0: And Carl, I'm telling you, Carl Crawford is going on for forever. It's, it's right. until the until global warming ends the world, we're paying Carl Crawford. The only way it stops is I'm, I'm not is sure
2: who's going to get paid last, him or Bobby Bonilla. <laughs> Does the Mets still pay him a million dollars every year for 25 years.
0: So here's my question for you. If they traded in Duhar yes. and spent like $300 million on Manny, the third out of the 2018 World Series Machado, the final out, um, mm-hmm. would you be okay with that?
2: I would not. I, I now when they were making rumblings about trying to trade for Machado at the trade deadline and I don't know how real that ever was, that the Orioles would trade him in the division, but I was I was excited for it. I, I wanted Manny Machado. Um and, you know, who wouldn't at that time, but just as Nathan Nivaldi has made himself a fortune in the postseason, I think that Manny Machado has cost himself a fortune because it was bad enough. That he was not really did not really set the world on fire after having gone to the Dodgers did not really like put the team on his back and and carry them into the postseason and didn't do anything in the postseason. But then when he did not run to first base more than once, and then says, "Well, that's not my game. I'm not Johnny Hustle. I'm not going to do that." Like yeah, that his agent day. had to be ripping his hair out of his head. Like wh- what am I doing here? Like how can you possibly go out and say well, that's not me? I'm not Mister Hustle. And the notion of that, going to New York and having that on the back page every day when he you know stands there and admires a home, uh, when he thinks it's a home run and it's a long out or it ends up being a single instead of a double, because he was watching it, they're going to eat him alive. And I don't need him in the locker room like whispering to Gary Sanchez, like, eh, don't worry about when they tell you to run hard. Just you know, just hit home runs. Take it easy. You know, being a mentor to Gary Sanchez, I, I don't love that thought either.
0: I felt like and, we and could get he him out. The,
2: did a couple, and then he had the couple dirty plays, too, where he tried to spike. Yeah somebody on the Brewers at first, and then he did it to Pierce for the Red Sox. I mean, that's all we need because that's obviously reminiscent of the A-Rod with Bronson Arroyo back in 04, which I still get gifts sent to me about. So um, I I just don't need it. I I just don't need that in my life. And I'll take so much grief. I just, no, I'm I'm good.
0: Well, I'll tell you, uh, he would add some spice to the Yankees-Red Sox rivalry because the Red Sox fans detest him. him. We were yelling at him game one game two at shortstop. Trying to get him to look at us. He's he's not a crowd favorite in Fenway. I'll tell you that much. Um, no. What if he signed Bryce Harper? You and
2: Damon Was that you and Damon and Ben Affleck? Your your buddies? Your Boston crew?
0: No, we didn't. We didn't yell at Manny and the Dodgers. No, house. no, we didn't. <laughs> they say hi. Um, Did you say,
2: "Hey, Manny, how do you like them apples?" Anything like that when you finally won it?
0: <laughs> oh, you're so adorable. <laughs>
2: Hey Manny, we just won the World Series. How you like them apples, huh? I mean, he, no, he didn't do that.
0: He should. Matt Damon should done that. Hey Manny, you think you're better than me? <laughs> <laughs> Who the fuck are you?
2: Kind <laughs> of four rings, four.
0: <laughs> that was my favorite story of all time ever told on the BS podcast. When Matt Damon told the story about going through. Boston with Robin Williams yeah. and Boston really people like going, Mark. Hey, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> Classic. We could have predicted that, that was funny. What about Bryce Harper?
2: Well, I, I tell you, I was, I was a little intrigued by mm, Bryce Harper. Here we go. I like it. <laughs> I, I know he did not have the best year. I know he has some, he's a little bit of a head case as well, has some shortcomings, but he's left-handed, which the Yankees yes. really need a left-handed bat. That short porch in right field, you know, he was when they played at Yankee Stadium a few years ago. He was like genuflecting at Mickey Mantle's retired number. Yeah. Like I, so part of me, and, and I think he's probably an upgrade in left field to Brett Gardner. Call me crazy, and mm-hmm. I like Brett Gardner. He was a fine Yankee, but he's 36 years old and he hit 236 last year. I, I think Bryce Harper might be a slight upgrade. So I was, I am a little intrigued by that. I'll admit. Like, in the middle of a lineup, but, and I know he strikes out too much, and it's all home strike strikeout, which is a problem they have, but at least he's left-handed and breaks up the right-handers. I'm a little bit more intrigued by that thought. But so, they apparently want no part of him, allegedly. And I think he's a Cub waiting to happen, because who's he best friends with on the Cubs? Somebody, right? Who is it? Chris Bryant, I think. Oh, seriously? And, and his dog is named Wrigley, so I think he's, you know, if the Cubs can find some money, I think he's going to be a Cub.
0: Yeah, what do you do with those rigs? <laughs> the uh, the uh, Bryce Harper thing scares me as a Red Sox fan because of that Judge batting second, Harper third, Stanton fourth, yeah, that's Sanchez five. five. That's a yeah. fucking gauntlet. I don't want that Luke to happen. Sixth, and the, and by the way, I know Bryce Harper wasn't good last year, and he might be one of those like peaked when he was twenty three type of guys, but
2: maybe. And he's been around. You know, he's been up since he was nineteen. So he does have some miles on him and he's, he has injury problems. I, I get all that, but you know, he's also once in a generation talent, arguably. So I guess the, biggest... the Yankees, it's just money for the of God. It's just, you know, the, the old Yankees, it's just money. They would, George would have already signed Machado and Harper.
0: Well, it should be a concern that the national fans would drive him to the airport and make sure he got yeah, on the is, plane. That's a problem, right? They watch him day in and day out and they're yeah. all ready to drive in the airport. The one I was hoping the Yankees would splurge on is this Patrick Corbin, the guy who's on Arizona. Yeah, Great stats. Lefty. Yeah. Makes a ton of sense. But right. I love the whole, let's grab the small market guy who's got great right. stats and let's throw him into the fire in New York. Please do that.
2: You know, I, he's a big, you know, he's a Yankees fan.
0: Yeah. He, great. Uh, Bring, he, him Bring him in. Bring in Patrick Corbin.
2: To- the whole family grew up Yankee fans, and I was excited about that. And then I talked to a, a guy that his daughter plays on my daughter's basketball team at a basketball meeting last night, and he's a Yankee fan. And we were talking, and I said, "You know, Corbin, his whole family's Yankee fans, and this guy did not want to sign him because of that, because he thought it put too much pressure on him. Because he's like, you know, when you play for your favorite team, it's going to be he's going to be trying too hard." And I was like, "That's a good point, actually." That scared me off, Patrick. Yeah, Corbin. let's
0: do it. Spend three hundred million on him.
2: Today I think... there was rumors that they were talking to the Indians about uh, about Kluber and Carrasco, and then I also saw what? that the uh, yeah about either Corey Kluber and or Carrasco, and um, that they were apparently the Mariners are going to blow it up, signing Robinson Kanota, two hundred seventy five million dollar contract that didn't work out. Wow, I can't believe it.
0: Who who um, could have saw that so, coming?
2: So if they blow it up and they were taking offers on Paxton, that would be good too. The Yankees, I like the Yankees to sign Hap. If they go out and get Corbin and then get Kluber or Paxton, that'd be pretty good. You know, you would throw them in with Severino and Tanaka, I'd be
0: happy with that. One guy I like is is, and I unfortunately I think he's going to get overpaid. But I think I like Dallas Keuchel because yeah, he's done it in the past. I, I had him on my fantasy team the last two years. He was definitely up and down, but I do think he's the type of pitcher that is going to age well. Like he's one of those guys. Like if the Yankees got him. My Plus gut
2: instinct—he's a, a ground ball pitcher, which is what you want at Yankee Stadium. Right. He freaking owns the Yankees. That'd be addition by subtraction, just getting him off the Astros.
0: Yeah, my gut instinct—if you sign Keiko, would be like, oh shit, I could totally see him jumping a level on the Yankees and being that like crafty lefty that you've had
2: forever. You know, I like, let him keep his beard too. I kind of like the Civil War look.
0: Yeah. <laughs> what do you think? I <laughs> did that. Are you allowed to have beards in the Yankees? I thought you had to you shame are not.
2: Him. No. Yeah.
0: Uh, I heard no. Aaron, I heard Aaron Boone was watching some really good how to how to manage a baseball team YouTube clips.
2: Well, you can't hurt. I, w- I would recommend that. That's good. That's good. We're, yeah, we're bringing him back in. with Larry Rothschild. The pitching staff regresses under Larry Rothschild, but let's give him one more shot. Why not?
0: The what you definitely have to upgrade the CC spot. It's tough, man. Yeah. When you when you're in the same division as the greatest baseball team of all time, it's tough. What do you uh, do? You know, Everyone's coming juggernaut. back.
2: A budding juggernaut. and We're like a you know small market, penny pinching team, just trying to get by with rookies and retreads. Best we can do.
0: Yeah, it's if only. Ed I was I, I
2: was there's a guy at work who's a Red Sox fan, and I was like, Hey, does JD Martinez have an opt out after this year? But it's only after the second year. I was disappointed.
0: Do you have a? Do you want to apologize, or do you have any last words for David Price, who you've maligned on this podcast <laughs> over and over again?
2: Uh, congratulations on discovering Pintar It's really turned things around.
0: Oh wow. Come
2: on! I have to give kudos to you on this because you were like David Price's <laughs> family did not have as much faith. In <laughs> I was the at,
0: only at, one. I was in his corner you the whole were, time.
2: Like at your father <laughs> after Game Two of the Yankees Divi- Red Sox divisional series. Your father was like castigating you on Twitter. He was for, he, for giving Price a back rub, as he put it. He undermined it. And, and he really should be apologizing to you as a fellow Red Sox fan because you were the last guy, like years ago, you were like, give me all your David Price stock. And you, you wrote out the volatility of the market and it paid off in the end for you.
0: I watch a lot of Red Sox and. I liked the way he was throwing the last couple of months. He was hitting like 95 and his his record was really good. And then that first Yankee game, everybody just freaked out and was ready to like, you know, send him to Cuba and, on a one-way <laughs> ticket for a political asylum. And uh, I, I just didn't get it because I, I felt like he had good stuff. Like we had guys like Pomerantz who somehow right. didn't pitch even in the 18 inning game. I have no idea why he was in the roster, but- Pomerant's like, that's that's done. There's no chance. But Price was actually, would pitch well. He just had this weird mental block with the Yanks. But um, I just think that's understandable. The Yankees have all these right-handed dudes who come up one after another who can hit the ball 480 feet. Yeah. You know, it's like a, just a bad matchup for him. But the good he was news is
2: he You know, he did not exercise his opt-out and he's all in on Boston. Great, he's back, baby. He'll, he'll continue to stink against the Yankees for the remainder of his contract. So that's good for me.
0: It's uh it's a good guy to have in the playoffs. The the thing I the biggest thing I learned is don't freak out about not having an eighth inning reliever when your manager is more than willing to blow out everybody's arm on your roster to have an eighth inning guy for four weeks. So that I yeah. learned that now, Johnny. There we, you go. Nathan is gonna his arm's probably gonna be in a sling until February, but he we won the World Series. We're fine.
2: See, yeah. Good idea, a guy coming off two Tommy Johns to throw him as many as you possibly can in a postseason. Well here's I'm sure the thing won't have any repercussions.
0: I, I mean, you can't have three Tommy Johns. What he's fine. <laughs> he, they fixed it.
2: <laughs> as long as his arm elbow works to sign on the dotted line for you, that'll be all good.
0: I wanna I'm gonna have my son get a Tommy John surgery right now to see if he can <laughs> increase his fastball.
2: Get it might, out of the way. Might
0: have nephew Kyle get it too. Uh there you go. Jacko, I, I I would tell you to enjoy the rest of the election day, but I don't know if anyone <laughs> any of us are going to enjoy it. I think we're going to be enduring it. But it's uh, always a pleasure. Talk to you soon. Good times. All right. Hey, let's talk about the Pixel Three. You've seen the commercials. Unleash the most powerful Pixel ever on the network chosen by Google Verizon. Pixel Three has more than just any camera. It takes group selfies, snaps, and portrait mode helps you always pick the perfect moment with Top Shot which automatically recommends the best picks where no one is blinking and everything looks just right. And the Pixel 3 also has the power of Google Lens, which means you can search what you see. And when you get the Pixel 3 on Verizon, it comes with America's best network. Now families can mix and match their unlimited plans on the best network with unlimited on Verizon. Everybody in the family gets what they want without paying for the things they don't. You think we can get you one, Kyle? Would I you think use we it? should try. I think we should definitely try. How, would you use a Pixel 3 all the time? Yeah, absolutely. Right, let's try to get you absolutely. a Pixel it's a, 3. It's a sleek looking phone. They Send did, them Good one. job on the commercials, Google. Send this kid from the streets of New York a Pixel 3 for God's sakes. Visit your local Verizon store today or learn more at vzw.com. Wanted to mention, had an awesome... Uh, Red Carpet premiere for Momentum Generation, new documentary that we have coming on HBO, which is going to be, I think, December 11th. And you're going to hear me talking about it a bunch of times in this podcast over the next five weeks, just because I really love the film. And it's a quote unquote surfing doc, but it's not. And I really want you, the listener, to watch it because I think it's really good. And um, I don't know. I rarely like go all in and push something to you people. So I'm pushing this. Keep it on your radar. It's about five weeks away. Just file it away. Uh, I'm very concerned about the Boston Celtics is the only other thing I wanted to say. I don't like, there's there's some chemistry stuff. I mentioned this on Friday, but um, I am concerned about, uh, it's a classic too many guys issue that is just manifesting itself so far. And I feel like there's going to be a trade coming. So I wanted to get that on the record. I feel like Terry Rozier will not be on this team 10 days from now. So whatever day this is, what is it? November 6th? November, 6th. November 17th, he will not be on on, uh, on this team. Um, all right, here it is. Me and Greg Kinnear. All right, Greg Kinnear is here. This is your first time on the BS Podcast. It is. It's happening right now, Live. You used to do this. You used to interview people way, way back when. I did.
3: Later. Very, we, oh my God, later. Later is in my salad golden years. I mean, <laughs> way before that, I was doing it on like borderline public access cable without even a C in the word cable, doing it for a thing called movie time and- and uh just trying to. What was movie time? I don't really remember t- before that. Before E was E, it was called movie time. And it was on, I don't know, some satellite dish. And it was like literally like going back to college for me. You know, I, I kind of came out of school and caught out here and crashed on a couch. Just like this one uh, yeah. that I'm sitting in uh, for, you know, a few months. But but I got this gig uh, doing this kind of low budget cable channel. And we would fill the hours with just interviews and show behind the scenes interviews and, you know, run trailers, anything we could to fill time.
0: Was that that what you wanted to do even in college? You were like, I'm going to be a host. Did you want to be like Letterman? You know, honestly, no, I I really, I don't know.
3: I didn't have a, a strong, clear, drive as specifically of what I wanted to do. I mean, I did, I was uh, in broadcast journalism at Arizona and I started as a drama major. So I definitely ended up in the right zone, but I, I honestly didn't know what the, I, I didn't know anybody in this business. Yeah. So it always seemed so far removed, you know, the idea of actually ending up in it is it was just seemed preposterous to me that you could actually get a get a gig out here. So um so I just never anticipated it but it's funny Justine Bateman as I was reminded the other day played a big part in my, <laughs> <Really>? my career. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yes. Yes. She was uh dating a friend of mine who was a sound mixer and she had gone to like this MTV, you know, used to do those Super Bowl events. I mean, yeah. this is way back in the 80s. Yeah. And she was there doing, you know, helping out with one of those things and doing her thing. She was on Family Ties and she told this guy who uh who worked at MTV, she was like, "Yeah, you should you should talk to um my friend's friend Greg Kinnear at some point." And so uh I, I ended up getting a chance to audition for MTV via her. Those, those are big, big days
0: for MTV, late they 80s. They were huge. They were yeah. huge.
3: And I went into this, you know, sat on the stairs where J.J. Johnson sat and Mark Goodman oh, and Martha wow. Quinn, the whole gang. And I I, uh, I basically, uh, you know, did a terrible audition. Good God. It's, I still have it. Yeah. It's awful. And uh, and I didn't get the job out of it, but I did get a nice tape out of it, and that tape said MTV audition. So when this fledgling cable channel was starting up, calling called Movie Time, they were like, "Oh, this guy might be legit. He's got an MTV audition that he didn't get the job for." I don't remember the
0: Movie Time thing, and I feel like I have a really good memory, and, and I love pop culture, but man,
3: yeah, uh, I'll get you. A hat. I was thought,
0: but now now that you said that, I'm like, oh yeah, E wasn't always E because I remember when they became E. And it was like E that's going to be their name. That's right. And 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 literally before E was E, it
3: was this Movie Time channel for 3 years and just one day they came in and they changed the sets, they changed the name, they changed the hosts. I I was fired. Yeah. by E. And uh and and I I left and did some other stuff for like a year and a half and then came back for Talk Soup. So that was all much later down the
0: road. And you started Talk Soup, and then you told them someday there's going to be this family named the Kardashians, <laughs> and Keep they're going to blow up the bag. Keep your eye, just watch this family. I know they're little girls now, but they are going to save your channel.
3: Yes, yes, exactly. I saw it in my crystal soup bowl. <laughs>
0: talk Soup was, I mean, it's funny now because it's basically the internet, right? We're talking 1991. I think so
3: 91 90 well no 92 I think we went on the air with it 92 January 1st and and I was on it 92 93 94 and what what was like the prototype for that did you have one there wasn't a prototype honestly I they brought me in I had just uh I don't know I'd done some other couple of other things and I they had been running periodically clips of like Sally Jesse Raphael or Geraldo or you know Ricky Lake they just periodically would run a clip and so i i went in with the guys of of creating a show once a day that would just run a number of these clips rather than just run one they'd run you know a, a number of them there was no idea of what the show was going to be there was no prototype in fact i the they thought it was going to be like a serious reverend look back at oh, the Jesus. highlights from Jerry's, <laughs> <laughs> And we all got in there and the, I don't think they knew we were on the air for like two years, but we just kind of started running. I remember you know, watching crazy. in
0: college. I, I graduated in college in 92, but we were like, this is great. What is this? this I guys, can, guys I just making fun of all these terrible shows. I love this. And, and it's so funny. I mean, even now I, I, people know that show, they know the
3: history of it. I didn't know that people knew it. It just, yeah. there, there was no internet. So there was no, you couldn't like see how your Twitter response was, or there was no way to gauge it. We started to get a rating. I think we, at one point, my producer, Eileen Graham came in and said, we got a one this weekend, which in that world on E at that time was unbelievable. And they were, uh, you know, it, it and we got a lot of mail as well. So I, I started to realize towards, not until like the third year You know, before I left, that people were actually seeing it out there. But I didn't
0: know we had an audience. I just thought we were just kind of in a little echo chamber screwing around. I remember that. And then Comedy Central, whatever it was called back then, was running the SNL reruns. Right. And those were like the two kind of, oh, this is great. I'll just kill some time and watch this show. But, you know, going backwards, like the, I'm going to say it's like 87, 88, those, the crazy talk shows started to take off. The Morton Downey Jr., maybe that was even 86, but. When guy, Jr. he's just yelling at <laughs> Nazis and, and it's like, what is going on? And, they, and those shows were like massively successful. Yeah. And then that kind of led into the early nineties when nobody was really making fun of them publicly, but everyone was making fun of them who watched them. Yeah. And then it tapped into that. But I really feel like it was like a pre-internet, you know, the internet comes in message boards start coming in 93, 94, 95. And then the internet, people start getting email, but this was kind of, existing pre all of that it's so true yeah
3: and morton downey jr you're so right i just remember him like you know he'd he'd always have a cigarette in his mouth and it would always invariably kick somebody off get out of here it's such a bully
0: you know it's great (laughs) it's amazing donald trump didn't have one of those shows yeah he probably tried
3: that could have happened that could have happened actually he would have, you know he would have fit in that i i think i'm trying to think some of the crazier ones i mean morton Downey jr that's a richard
0: bay yeah, uh, was Montel Williams on yes, back then? Yeah, yes, he was he on was. there.
3: Yes, he was. I feel like I'm missing like a
0: really good one, and it's oh, Jenny Jones. Jenny Jones <laughs> was was Wendy O. Williams was not back then though. No. no, no, no. So you had all these people, and they were just watching these shows, cutting VCR tapes, VHS tapes. That's right. And you were trying to figure out. Which ones, and then you're screening it. I mean, it'd be so much easier to do it now, with the internet. It era. would be
3: much easier to do it today. <laughs> it's <laughs> almost like clips. the internet saved us. Uh, uh, no, it was it was crazy how convoluted it was. I, I'd just come in in the morning and we basically taped the show, but we did it sort of live. We, we Once we started, we just didn't stop and we just let it go, whatever it was. It'd drive me crazy if we stopped And we had a technical issue here and there, but, but not a lot. And, and in the morning I'd go in and I'd, uh, there's this nice guy like line up. He'd say, well, here's what we got. And we'd sit there and he'd show me, you know, probably 12 or 13 different potential nominees. Yeah. We only had time for about nine or 10 and we'd just kind of say, okay, let's do this, 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 this. (laughs) We kind of thought, Hey, what don't we do? Like we, we had like different gags and stupid things that we'd come up with on the fly. And then, uh, and, and then,
0: uh, you know, then we uh, sit down and do the show. I feel like that show, Dennis Miller and Weekend Update, it was, it was the first kind of. Achy-chy. People, yeah, people kind of wise asses. Yeah. Which is basically where we ended up with the internet. We're just people yeah, being wise asses about anything, but it was. You're not I, blaming me for all this, are you? No, I think, I think you should take credit. I think this is great. <laughs> but I remember when you left, it was like devastating. Yeah, And then you were in this great situation where everyone who followed you were like, yeah, but he's not Greg Kinnear. It's like, they could have followed you with Eddie Murphy in 1984. <laughs> like, well, you know, but Greg. <laughs> yeah. So you do that later show, right? As the kind of, I mean, that was basically now we have podcasts. right? But back then we had these kind of long form interview shows that people were doing that really kept going all through the nineties. And then I think in the 2000s started a flame out as a gimmick. but. um, Did that for two years? They
3: still do later, don't they? they?
0: Yeah, they still do them, but it's now you have to, like, make them – you have to kind of catch the viewer's eye a little bit more. Oh, for sure. You can't just be like, hey, two people are talking, three cameras. I know,
3: I know. Well, listen, I took over that show from uh, Bob Costas. Yeah, he loved that uh, show. And he was quite good at it. And, and by the way, they did it without an audience, which was always my big regret. I got over to NBC, and they were like, oh, we got to put you in front of an audience and have you walk out. And it was just – I, it felt completely wrong. Oh, you didn't want to do that? I didn't, I didn't like, I didn't like walking. I even tried to say, why don't I just sit here? I'll just sit here and we'll just start the show. You know, we can have the audience, but anything but the walkout, we had the whole walkout deal. And I just, I don't know, just the whole thing felt like it felt very, uh, even for me at that time, it just felt like a formula that had been, you know had been beaten done to death and and we weren't going to do it as well but the idea of having a one-on-one interview with somebody and kind of talking to them, you know rather than moving them down the couch after 7 minutes that appealed to me yeah on some nights it depended who the guest yeah, was it's tough, the
0: booking every night is just- <laughs> oh.
3: Well, we, a lot of times we just pilfer whoever, you know, Jay Leno had down at the end of the, you know, the other stage. We just grab whoever. whoever
0: (laughs) You literally grab them. (laughs) Yeah. Stop. Yeah. And then you left to become an actor. Yeah. Which I remember being like, just flabbergasted by. It's like, what? Yeah. He's going to act. I thought this guy was going to be like a, like a Letterman type. Now he's going to be in movies makes no sense. And you, that was something you always wanted to do. I, I had, I, I did, uh, um, oh,
3: I, I did have great interest in acting. A really good friend of mine always was like, you want to be an actor? And I was always, no, no, I don't. But I guess I kind of did. The truth is, uh, again, I just didn't think it was, it was something that was like really possible to, to, to make happen. And, and, You know, even my first movie, I mean, which was, which I did a couple little things, but I mean, just kind of like a day gig here or there. But the first thing was Sabrina with, you know, that Sidney Pollack directed and he that's a big ass movie It was a big huge movie huge that was like movie. a big deal that it was being remade it was kind of an iconic movie
0: that meant a lot to a lot of people
3: and he had me come in and meet with him uh a couple of times eventually I, you know they put me on videotape and and uh you know i ended up getting the gig but i you know i i was not searching for that he literally somebody Lindsay duran used to work for for and he dropped off a tape of me, I think on Talk Soup and just said after he had tried to get thousands of other people to play this role, uh, who passed for different reasons, he uh he at least entertained it. And then I went yeah. in and I think, you know, we had a good connection. He's from Indiana. I'm from Indiana originally. Maybe that helped. I don't know. But uh yeah, that was my
0: first Harrison yeah. Ford. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of but- at his second apex, the double apex that Harrison Ford, yeah, the eighties no. apex, and then like in the just an unbelievable run early nineties. Right, and At that he, point he was like the most bankable A-list star in Hollywood other than for Tom Cruise
3: sure. I mean, he just I think I'm trying to think what he had come off of was it?
0: He done like Clear and Present Danger, Presumed Innocent, The right. Fugitive, right? It was a murderer's row. Wit uh, witness,
3: remember how great witness? witness was? Oh my god,
0: yeah. Um, yeah, his the, he, his 20-year his run is kind of
3: unassailable. So I had never met Harrison through the whole process. So the big elephant in the room when I'm, like, trying out for this, just the thing that you just don't want to ever, ever think about is the fact that you haven't really acted in a movie, and now you're going to do it with Harrison Ford. Right. Uh, it was just too much. I, I think I just compartmentalized it and kind of said, I, I'm not going to acknowledge this. Eventually... <laughs> I did have to meet him, yeah, uh, and that was in I guess in New York. Uh, we met it, you know. I don't know it was Sydney's office in New York, and and uh, he says, uh, "You wanna you wanna go grab some lunch?" <laughs> and uh, and so we went down the street and got uh, got a, got a little lunch, and of course you walk in the restaurant, and it's yeah, right. ain't looking at me, man, yeah. Uh, it was pretty cool. And you're right. He was kind of at that, you know, great apex. And, and it was, I remember the lunch specifically at one point, this is a very, you know, straightforward lunch, talking about a little bit about the movie, you know, uh, I don't know, baseball game, uh, random stuff. And, and, and it, it, at some point, uh, uh, we got the movie thing, and he's talking about well, we were doing this thing, and he mentions Star Wars, and and I got to do the, my, of course, the joke that we all want to do, which is they say, "No, I, now I haven't seen that. What is that? <laughs> so, what's that one about?" <laughs> so uh, I did get, get a Star Wars. Yeah,
0: yeah, that was the title.
3: <laughs> yeah, he. Uh, uh, I think I got half of a, maybe a quarter of a smile out of him on that
0: <laughs> worked. <laughs> Sabrina, mm-hmm. didn't it do really well, but people were like mad about it? Like it, it had like a weird reaction.
3: Yeah. I mean, it, it uh, I, you know, I but people think people thought I you
0: th- were good in it, but they they didn't understand why it got remade, but they people saw it anyway.
3: Yeah. They didn't realize that tons of movies were about to be remade Yeah, for seriously. the next 20 years. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I think it was controversial a little bit that it was being remade, but, and then some people, didn't dig it some people did i mean it even now i mean i I've, I've saw it my kids saw it uh and i, I watched with my kids a few years ago and remember thinking it's it's kind of a it, you know i i like the film but it's yeah a, it does have a strange a slightly you know strange vibe to it but i but i do i did like it and i did think it was a worthy remake i mean i really i really um uh I don't remember the box office though. I I don't think it did tremendous. I think it was because Audrey
0: Hepburn was so iconic in that role. Sure. But now it's like Julie Ormond, though. She was do wonderful that again. In
3: it, you know? I mean, yeah, exactly. I mean, it was like kind of a damned if you do you yeah. know, do this thing anyway. So I, I think it was a hard one. What was that
0: like to watch it. that with your daughters? <clears throat> yeah. Was, they see dad in a movie. That's gotta be weird
3: yeah they don't like to watch Dad in movies I can tell you that that's that's the general takeaway that, yeah. that i uh, I've experienced is that it's strange for them and <laughs> and they haven't seen me in a lot of stuff you know um so i i don't i i'm not i'm not pushing me around the house so uh it's it's we're at a nice neutral place where hopefully I, they never they see know what autofocus. I do but they're not that keen on watching it
0: yeah, hopefully we'll never see autofocus. Just tell them, <laughs> <laughs>
3: tell
0: them just no, never, yeah, don't never don't ever watch that, that one. It
3: doesn't happen.
0: So when you hooked up with Nicholson a couple of years later, yeah, and he was another guy, you know. Yeah. One of the all timers. Yes. And that was a really big movie for him because he had, you know, he hadn't had kind of a movie where it was like, oh my God, Jack Nicholson's amazing in a few years. And yeah. that became kind of the signature middle-aged Jack Nicholson movie. Man, I, I just re- remember reading the script and thinking, oh my gosh, this this is
3: really an incredible script. This is just going to be an incredible movie. I'm never going to get it. And Jack playing this role is going to be one of the great things to watch at some point when I pay my $8 like everyone else to go yeah. to the movie theater and watch him and, you know, whoever got to play my role in Helen in this movie because, uh, you know, you just knew that he was going to crush it and he does.
0: It's such a well-acted, well-written movie. Yeah. It's weird. Some parts of it has an age well, you know, because I think- You think? Yeah, because- Some of the, parts what,
3: of it is because I guess don't don't age well? Well- Or the, haven't the, age well?
0: Culturally, yeah. That, like, he's, you know, he's gay bashing him for the first hour plus of the movie. Right. And when you watch it now under the current lens, you're like, oh, man, come on, dude. Right. But in the moment, it was kind of like, oh, he's- he's a crank, but we know he's going to come around. But then you see it in the 2018 lens and it's, it's I haven't a seen
3: it in a while. That's a, probably a fair point, but uh, I don't know. I, I just, I mean, I'm interested to
0: see it with that idea in mind. I, I, it but probably the thing is, is different. I, we talk about this. We do a podcast called the Rewatchables about going backwards and legislating content. It's like, look, it was 1997 or 1996, whatever it was. It was just like, the way it was that's the way it Um, was and he's so good in that movie i still the one thing with that him and helen Hunt getting together the age difference it is a tiny bit of a leap of faith but then you think like well I, i take a leap of faith in every movie so this is like a very tiny one I
3: mean, in this town,
0: if you yeah, live here sure. and you're
3: like looking at that and worried about the age difference, I I, I mean, I, I don't, I don't see it myself. I was always very comfortable with it, but yeah, there's a little bit of a, of a span there, but I feel like I've seen that enough. Where What'd you learn
0: did... from Nicholson? Were you studying him? Were you watching like oh, little God.
3: weird things he did? And... Front row seat, baby. It was great. Um, yeah. I, I don't know. I can't tell you specifically what I learned. I mean, hard Working and you know took the work the the role incredibly seriously and uh it was never easy it was never easy for him you know Jim Brooks did a you know, wonderful job with the movie and and everyone cared a lot and nothing was taken for granted not one moment you know the everybody was was constantly trying to make whatever it was better and it's amazing because the script really is great and yet you'd get in and we would start with a scene and i remember thinking this is horrible this is never going to work (laughs) and and then you know uh it would it was just trying to find it and it would get better and get honed and you know jim has an incredible ear and and it would just get better big sports fan that jim
0: brooks yeah see him at a lot of clipper games yeah he's a like a diehard, tortured Clipper fan. Yeah. It's amazing he hasn't written the Clippers sports movie that like the world needs. <laughs> He'd be the perfect person I to write know, it. that would be, he would do Come great on, Jim Brooks. sports movie.
3: Well, he did have, they had one, didn't he have a sports movie? Uh, with Paul Rudd and, and Reese?
0: He, they, yeah, yeah if she was a the, softball player. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I need the Clippers. A little bit I Need a Clippers, Clippers movie. Yeah, yeah, I need a Clippers movie. So that movie went, that movie cleaned up at the Oscars <clears> and you yeah. got nominated. It was one of those movies It's was just like, oh, that, that next person's going up. We were, the
3: big movie that year was uh, was Titanic too. A lot of people don't remember that that was the other movie that was in the category, which was- uh, It's a good year. Little little feature-length motion picture that uh, <laughs> people remember.
0: Yeah. It was supposed to be a bust. It was supposed to be a bomb. They spent so much money. It's going to be the biggest bomb in Hollywood history. <laughs> it is funny. Anytime that happens, half the time the movie ends up being really good. Right. And then the other time it really is a disaster. Yeah. But when you start hearing the buzz about, oh my God, this is good. Oh, Jesus, and then it's like, oh yeah, this is actually a pretty good movie. Any
3: buzz is good, buzz, baby. When you know, good or bad, you know, it's like uh maybe that's the message out
0: of that. <laughs> <laughs> the the autofocus with Bob Crane mm-hmm. is one of the most disturbing, darkest kind of fascinating cable movies that comes on when you're flipping channels and it's like, Oh yeah, this movie, Bob Crane. It's kind of hard to explain, you know, I'm in my late forties, like that, like the guy from Hogan heroes, um, Hogan's heroes, um, like that was like, everybody knew who that was, you know, or like Mr. Brady or, uh, I don't know, the dad from my three sons. And there were like these 20 people that were just in your life and you just assume they were perfectly normal. (laughs) And yeah. he was not normal. He was the opposite. And when that stuff started to come out, it was absolutely flabbergasting. It's like, really? Bob Crane? I know. I
3: remember hearing about it in in high school that some story, I, I think he had been, maybe it was after he was murdered uh, and had been murdered recently. So, so there was a little... Just a little buzz. I was in high school in Greece, by the way, so I'm in. Yeah. A, I'm in a parking lot in Greece having this conversation. But somehow the Bob, Bob Crane. Yeah, I understand he was. A, you know, he had kind of a he had a crazy. He liked the girls. Something I <laughs> like mean, the I ladies. Just, yeah, he liked the ladies. Like filming the ladies. Didn't never hear much more than that. I mean, it was a tiny blip on uh, that registered for me back at that time, and then the whole story went away for many, many. Years like with everybody I think and and only uh only when you know Paul Schrader sent me the script was I like, Oh, yeah, it's story. a really good movie,
0: yeah, I think Paul so schrader, too. by the way, yeah, another legend yeah i I mean, it basically seems like his buddy killed them, but yeah, he didn't get ever convicted for it, right
3: i nobody researched it better than than schrader, and he he said it, there's no question if he had sat on that jury, he would have voted to con convict yeah. him. at the end of the day, they had botched the case badly enough. The Scottsdale police department that of course they had to, um, you know, they had to let go of like some key evidence, but you know, there was, there was, uh, you know, it was all there and, and very, very clear.
0: Yeah. One of the things that's cool about that movie is, um, it was that era where you became famous for the one thing. And then after that, you're just kind of chasing the fame that came with that one thing. But yep. it, each year becomes further and further away from thing. And it goes like deep into, you know, this weird post Hogan's Heroes career where yeah. he's just like working in nightclubs, <laughs> like yeah, doing like patching things together. And it's just getting darker and darker.
3: Yeah, it was a very, uh, it was a really well written script and I and I uh and I and I had the benefit of of you know Willem Dafoe playing um Kirby, super creepy who was so awesome and I was such a fan of his so that was a just an added bonus but yeah it gets it gets pretty far out there and we uh, I, uh you know there were part, there was an element of the movie that seemed Slightly, it was funny to me. Just I, I, I yeah. don't know how to, because it's not really something you should laugh at. I mean, I definitely think this man had a problem, and oh, he did yeah. have an addiction that obviously. But, but, I think sex addiction now is something that is probably in the public consciousness a little bit more, and you can have a sober conversation about it. But, uh, you know, when I saw this thing, I mean, I don't, I don't remember what year we made it, but it was just, it just seemed like he, he, what, you know, <laughs> sex addiction, and how, how, you know. Bob was creeping around outside of being in Hogan's Heroes this kind of you know charming role that he plays that he had this dark energy that was was driving him and there were moments within the script that had some really funny beats in it that I that I liked but ultimately it's a it's a drama and it is dark and it does kind of tip over into a different place but you know there's there's just it's a lot of different colors in that movie And I I enjoyed it. You
0: made uh, Little Miss Sunshine in 06. Does a movie like that get made now? And if it gets made, what's the budget? I mean, it was considered kind of a low-budget indie when you made it. And now it's like, I love that movie. I wonder who's making that movie now. I talked to Matt. Matt Damon was on the pod a month ago, and he was talking about how hard it was. It was to get uh, the Casey Affleck movie they made, the Manchester by the yeah. Sea, and he he was saying, uh, like the fifteen million to seventy million movie is just Got disappearing, it. yeah, unless somebody with a lot of clout gets behind it. I think Little Miss Sunshine is a good example. Like, I don't know if that movie happens in two thousand eighteen. It almost didn't happen when it
3: happened because we we I remember uh, Abigail Breslin who plays Olive, yeah, kept, kept getting older. <laughs> Jonathan Dayton and Valerie. You know, they're the directors. They were like, oh God, we got to make this movie. This oh, there was like a they, time limit on? Well, they just were in love with her as Olive and she yeah. kept getting older. Yeah. Uh, from when they originally kind of were were out trying to, you know, they were very close. They were on the one yard line a couple of times really? and then it slipped away and they just couldn't get the financing for it. And finally, one of the producers uh, who at that point had just been a producer on it, uh, just said, you know, he was a, he was a wealthy guy and he just said, screw it. I'll write a check. And he wrote a check for $7 million to make the movie. And that's how it got made. We, it wasn't sold. It didn't get any, it wasn't financially solvent in the sense that it, it didn't raise any money as a project. So he just said, I'll do it. And, Turned out pretty well for him. Yeah, I was going to
0: say, that was a nice check.
3: <laughs> and uh, But, you know, listen, that that doesn't happen uh, very often for good reason because, you know, there's a thousand stories of, of losing your money and uh, any kind of, you know, movie investment uh, for every one that hits. But that one hit, and it hit big. And I, I don't know if it would be made under normal circumstances. I mean, listen, the script was, it was good. I remember reading it the first time when it was brought to me and thinking, yeah, yeah, that, that, be, that'd be fun. I I didn't knock me out of like, it, as good as it gets was like, I thought, wow, this is, it was by the way, as good as it gets was originally called old friends. They changed the name, but really? Yeah. yeah. And I, uh, and I loved old friends. I told Jim, I said, I think you're crazy, man. You want to change the name? And he was right. Um, but I, that script was, seemed really ready. It was just a thousand percent there for me when I read it. And, and Little Miss Sunshine, I thought was really good. I didn't think it was a bad script, but I, I don't remember being knocked over by it until we got in and finally we're going to make the movie now. And, and we started doing some rehearsals and we all started to, you know, do it, did a couple of read-throughs of the script. And all of a sudden it hit me. I was like, wow, this thing is so great in every moment of it kind of works and the development of the story works. And, and then I realized how well it had been cast with everyone. So, uh, but it was a, it was a bit of a slow burn for me to kind of, I'm slow anyway.
0: (laughs) Well, I was going to say that was a good example of, I think you need to get lucky, especially the movie like that. And in that movie, it's perfectly cast. Yeah. Like, even if you go... I don't know, there's f- maybe five key people in it. Even if you go four for five, I think it really hurts the movie. Like, you really had to go a strong five for five. Right. With the five parts. And the little girl's great. And then all on down the line, it's just like.
3: Yeah, Paul Dano, who I, I just did the Tonight Show this week, and I ran into him like he was on the show too. And we were just, I hadn't seen him for a long time, and we were just kind of ruminating. And he has about like, how a, how yeah,
0: he's like, had a big career now.
3: Oh my gosh, he says he's doing. Could tell from that movie
0: though. From that movie, you could be like, "That guy's going to be something." Yeah, right. He
3: was he was so good, and I hadn't I didn't know him when we you know we did the film, and I was like, "Okay, this kid." Same for Abigail. I mean, really, everybody was you know doing
0: great stuff. So Jonah Hill was here two weeks ago. He was talking about his kind of class. Paul Dano's in it, and like that part, everyone wanted that part. Oh, really? They're all going for the same parts from like oh six to oh nine, but right. that was one of the parts. Yeah, it's pretty funny. I like. I always like the concept of acting classes. Yeah, where uh, it's just like the same. Damon talked about that when last month about like his class was, you know, obviously Affleck, and McConaughey, and all those people, but also like Ed Norton. Ed Norton got the primal part, fear part. Right. Everyone else wanted that part. But then he got him back with the with the Coppola, the John Grissom movie. He got that over Ed Norton. Yeah. Um, when you did
3: actually you did stuck on you with Damon. I did. I did. I saw Matt uh, not too long ago at a UFC fight, and we were uh, we were kind of reliving our anguish of of having 3 or 4 hours of a prosthetic yeah, put gonna, on our body
0: <laughs> cuz now you would just do that with all CGI you probably would never be attached I
3: don't I, I, yeah maybe I mean they had they 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 did it with a big giant piece of of silicone that was literally taped you know kind of stuck to our body and the guy after they put it on And this was whenever you saw us, like in our, well, there's a scene where we're in our swimming suits. So you have to see the whole connection. And, and, uh, but it was, a you know, it was a couple of weeks where we had to put that thing on and it would take like five, six hours. I mean, we would get there at five o'clock in the morning. We couldn't shoot till lunch. And then I remember getting this thing on and, and I'm like walking with Matt. And then the guy comes up and he says, now, listen, guys, it's important. I just want you to know this. Everything's fine. You guys are going to be fine. But if one of you were to fall or trip and you got separated, this could rip your flesh off. So try to be really careful when you're walking together. Oh, my and, God. Um, and and I remember thinking, okay, okay, <laughs> don't trip. Don't trip. But we, you know, it was a fun, great fun to do that film. And we did have hours and hours. That doesn't
0: sound fun. That, that, sound, that fun. sounds not
3: fun at all. That part was not fun, but we shot Miami. I mean, only the Fairley brothers would shoot Miami for Los Angeles. Don't ask me why. Yeah. Uh, You know, Matt's a tremendous, you know, guy. And, and uh we, we had a lot of, uh we just had a lot of laughs doing that movie. And Matt will tell you, today he'll say that, you know, he says that is the most fun he's ever had on any, any movie. And I think I would say the same thing just in terms of like, just going to work. Those guys are fun to work with. The environment is crazy. Plus we were just, it it was such a nutty idea to begin with. So, uh, it was
0: fun. The, uh, you agreed to do a movie like that and it's like, oh yeah, there's going to be some prosthetics. And then you're on the set and it's six hours. Yeah. Well There's got to be some moment where you go, oh man, really? Right. Yeah. I heard
3: like Jim Carrey, like almost went bonkers in like the Grinch or something. He had to, because it was like eight hours a day or something. Oh yeah. And it just, and I get it. I mean, it just, f- listen, fortunately- Usually, if we were, if it was just Matt and I, we would just they'd put a shirt over us, yeah, and we'd have a piece of Velcro holding us together, or I don't know, elastic band or something. That was the majority of it. So, so the prosthetic thing was the pain point that we had to hit for a couple of weeks. But aside from that, basically, we'd throw a shirt on, and and I, you know, we'd have to rub bodies throughout the day. CGI
0: now. I'm telling you, you guys right. could be in just separate cities and do it. Yeah. Well, I smell a sequel. Stuck on you too. It's back. Stuck on two. <laughs> uh, House of Cards. What's your what's your role? What's your job? What's your what's your profile in this movie? Job. I mean, a TV show.
3: Yes. It is a. Uh, it is a. Well, listen. It's it's a kind of a great. It's a great show man and they have uh they had to retool
0: it. it, shall we say?
3: They had to retool it. So I I was cast along with uh Diane Lane as brother and sister Bill and Annette Shepherd who are showing up to uh, we are in Washington sort of that fifth estate just kind of quietly doing our bidding from very stealthily, but, uh, using our, our influence and our money to, to try and change policy. We certainly have a problem with Claire Hale, who has ascended to the presidency. Robin Wright's um, character. Kevin Spacey will be this sort of, uh, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's the former president now, and he will, uh, basically be, um, running a foundation and it, all sorts of things span out of that got there shot a, a couple of days like a day just a camera test and then a, a couple of scenes and then I was shooting a movie in Memphis I went back to Memphis and then I got a uh you know a call I don't know 2 days later to turn on CNN and and the car, the bottom dropped out of this whole thing and it, yeah. and it went uh, uh everything went a little crazy so credit robin for you know as one of the along with the producers for you know, keeping this thing on the tracks, I think the easy move would have been to walk away from it all. I mean, if, you know, she didn't, she didn't have to keep this thing going. And right, then, she could have run in the other yeah, direction. and I think you'd be a little vulnerable, right? I mean, that's yeah. the, you know, he's, he's such a significant part of the show and, you know, he, this happens, maybe the move is just to walk away. And I think she, you know, uh she she made the decision that she wanted to stay and that the show was, you know, worth finding an ending for. And, and the writers, you know, Frank and Melissa had the, you know, very tough work ahead of them because they had to then totally re um, you know, rewrite and kind of reconfigure the, the season out. And they did a really good job and uh, in, in doing that. And, and we um, you know, so we're just there wreaking havoc and we want Claire's head on a platter. There you, did, you go. Did you think about backing out after this whole thing or no? No, I, I just didn't think it was going to happen. I yeah. just assumed that this was, uh, when I heard, I was like, well, that that's, that's done. That's just not possibly happening. And, and then, and then a little time went by and I was just told Hey, stand by the producers are trying to, you know, make, maybe keep this together. And then Netflix, I know, ended up taking care of the crew, which was really cool. I thought, um you know, they, they took care of that crew in, in Baltimore for quite a, you know, some period of time while, while they reconfigured what it is we were going to, going to do. And that can't be overstated because I think there's a lot of production companies that would just say, hey, tough luck. We'll pay, you know, we may, we may come back. We may not. If you got to go find another job, good luck.
0: Yeah. Um, so that was kind of cool. And, You came back because you just wanted to be married to Diane Lane for a TV season.
3: No, I I, am not. I don't even get to be married (laughs) to to Diane Lane. She's my sister. Oh, she's your sister? She's my sister. Now, it's true. My story is I'm in love with her. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's my backstory. But uh, I don't know if that's what the producers had in mind. But um yeah, she's she's lovely and great and it was great fun to work with her. And, and uh, she's such talent. I, was, I knew her socially over the years, but we'd never worked together. So this was this
0: was terrific. She's awesome. I agree. I'm a huge Diane Lane fan. Me too. Right there with you. I'm always I'm always up for Diane Lane in, yep. in stuff. I wish she did more stuff. So you have three daughters? How old are the I, daughters? They're fifteen, twelve, and nine. Wow. I have a thirteen. Oh, you do. We can talk, kid. It gets complicated at twelve, huh? I'm actually, I'm, I'm having a pretty good experience, but I, there's little comes and goes. Yeah, little snippets where I'm like, oh, now I understand what other people were trying to warn me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What's it like
3: to have three? Well, with three, you you say with one it comes and goes. Well, just assume that it, if it if it if it's co- comes and goes periodically and you have three, just the law of averages, it's always, it's coming, always coming and it's always going. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I, I don't know anything different. I mean, they're, they're really great uh, girls. I will say um, I might be slightly biased in that assessment, but it's uh, fully from the heart. I love them like mad and they're um, you know, they're all, they're all different. very. You know, you always hear that. Well, can you believe how different they all are? And that's true. They're all very
0: different. But um, but one of them is going to be trouble. A lot of averages if there's three. That's
3: probably true.
0: It's true. One of them is the candidate to sneak out of the house after everybody falls asleep.
3: I've got one earmarked as possible. Trouble <laughs> <down> <laughs> <We're> scouting.
0: <road>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I ended up with a daughter and then a son who's two and a half years younger. And he's have him have him marked. Yeah, yeah. I'm watching his every move. He just turned 11. <laughs> Very careful with him. Yeah. Did you get a male dog at least? Have have I do have somebody to dog. talk? Somebody to talk to? I do. I think he's a male dog. <laughs> I think he's a male dog. You
3: uh, can feel outnumbered with all those ladies in the you house. Bet I do. And by the way, this dog gets so much love that I don't get. I mean, yeah. this dog is beyond spoiled. Uh, and, and loved and adored in the, in the family dynamic, but, uh, um, but yeah, got a dog. Would you let any of them go in show business? I certainly, oh man, I, I just want, like, I don't know about you, but I, 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 my greatest wish would be that they would be passionate about something, you know, that they'll, they'll have a thing that they want to do. And if that's show business, fine. You know, I I don't care, you know, really, I I don't care what it is, but I want them to be, um, I think that that's, that's the great advantage you can have in your, in your, in your life and your work is, is just a, uh, an interest and, and some sort of passion for, for what it is that, that you do. And, and so, um, if that led to show business with, you know, which is fraught with, complications that have all been talked about um I, I i don't think i would try to talk them out of it I, I think i'd just encourage it and and hope for the best and i think you know show business is like it's not just one thing i think people envision everybody ends up as an actor or a director or you know it's a it's a million different facets and yeah. there's so many different things in it that like any industry it, it, it it's 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 not at all one thing. So, so uh, you know,
0: bring it on. I think that's good parental advice you just laid out there. Yeah. Let the kids follow the passion. I'm going to write a book. My daughter just started playing volleyball randomly for her school, and she loves it. She's like, I want to keep playing. I'm like, great. Knock yourself out. Did she just- a, She's always been soccer since like age four. And she's still going to play soccer, but she's like, I really like volleyball too. I'm like, awesome. And how Do did she thing. know she likes volleyball? How did she know she liked volleyball? She had played it when like fourth grade, fifth grade, and then came back for the eighth grade team just to be with her friends and was just good at it. And she's like, I want to keep doing this. That's like, great. All right, cool. We're in LA. You can play That's volleyball great. whenever you want.
3: But yeah. I, I think, remember uh, I remember my 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 youngest daughter, we, we were at a Halloween party and she was probably like six and there was this uh, kind of this, inf- one of those inflatable sort of uh, kickboxing things out there or something, you know, like one of those, it's sort of a practice Bag. Yeah, yeah, and she just out of nowhere just did this massive roundhouse kick on this thing and i was like huh and later said to her do you have any interest in you know ever doing something with that maybe you know the karate classes and stuff and you know she was like yeah i'd like to do that i'd like to try karate and uh she's done it since then for you know, I don't know, like, you know, eight years and she's working on her second degree black belt <laughs> and she loves it. And it's just a thing that she, I, I, I it, you didn't, wouldn't see coming. It was just this thing all of a sudden she was like, yeah, that would be cool. And so I kind of feel the same way about, you know, any advice I do give them is, is that you kind of have to let their, let them lead the way, you know, yeah, they know what they want to do. Well, good luck with the house cards. When does it drop? Uh, it drops.
0: Uh, November second. Oh, so that's today. Correct. We're taping this on a Friday. Yeah, I think it's running next week though. Oh, so yeah, you're it's, right. it's, on it's, Netflix, it's, it's on Netflix. It's on Netflix. It's officially on Netflix. It drops. That's what we all say. You probably wouldn't know. What's the, terms. the new logo? Hmm. Did they? Re- they must have redone the logo, right? Used to be spacey. Well, it's it, yeah. It's uh, it's so not Robin. It's, Robin Ray. And it's by the way, it is really a.
3: It's a tour de force. I mean, it's really Robin's thing. I mean, in that, in that show, I mean, she, she carries it and it's so cool, I think, to see her. She's of course, you know, (laughs) she's devious and horrible, uh, in certain respects, but, uh, as the president, but she's, she's really kind of, um, owns the role in a fantastic way. So it's good stuff.
0: We had her, we did the Andre the Giant documentary last spring for HBO and she, because he was in Princess all Bride. right. So we it's this documentary. It's Andre. It's all these wrestlers. And and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, like an hour, and like Robin Wright just comes in. It's like this white light shining. It's <laughs> just one of the most beautiful actions <laughs> ever. And then it's like, all right, back to the wrestlers. <laughs> back to Andre the Giant and Hulk Hogan. But she just kind of passes through for two minutes. Is Robin Wright. One of the greats. How did he get cast for this? I have to see this. I have
3: not seen Andre the Giant. It's a documentary. I'm going to watch that. I haven't seen it. Yeah.
0: Oh, it's great. You would oh, love it. I
3: will. I will
0: love it. It was a really good I one. I love that
3: movie. And I kind of like, you know, I don't, I'm not a huge wrestling fan, but. The you cool know, thing
0: about how he did this is you don't have to be a wrestling Was he too. like
3: a Hulk hogan type? He was, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 yeah.
0: You like it. It's on HBO. I'm going to. HBO On Demand. Which I have. Yeah. You watch that, I'll watch House of Cards. Fan- deal. Greg Kinnear, thanks for coming in. Thank you very much. All right. Thanks to uh, Dan Clorez Thanks to Jacko. Thanks to Greg Kinnear. Don't forget about the rewatchables. We are going to drop one this week. Don't forget about ZipRecruiter. Check them out at ZipRecruiter.com slash BS. Don't forget about Casper, a sleep brand that continues to revolutionize its line of products to create an exceptionally comfortable sleep experience. One night at a time, the original Casper, the Wave, In the Essential, all their mattresses are perfectly designed to soothe and cradle your natural geometry. You can be sure of your purchase. Casper's 100-night risk-free it trial And it is delivered to you in a small how-do-they-do-that-size box. Get $50 towards select mattresses by visiting casper.com slash BS. Using BS at checkout terms and conditions. Apply. I hope you're listening to this as you're voting. Or as you're about to vote until then.